This is VOCM Open Line. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. The biggest conversation in Newfoundland and Labrador starts now. Here's VOCM Open Line host Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the program. It's Friday, February the 23rd. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams. He's producing this command with an edition of the program. So if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue and on the air, 709-273-5211. Elsewhere, it's toll-free, long-distance 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 86 26, so as much as it is a messy, sloppy, icy, slushy morning, not as bad as I thought it was going to be, so I guess there's some relief there. But yes, there will be some treacherous conditions in certain parts of the province, so you know what to do. Well, that's it for Team Stacy Curtis at the Scotty's Tournament of Hearts out in Calgary. 2-6 and six record, but, you know, one of their wins came against Alberta, and that was their only loss. Alberta went 7-1, and one, so not a bad outing for Team Curtis at the Scotties. And the Growlers in Trois-Rivières tonight to take on the Lyon in a two-game set. Two of the coolest logos in the ECHL owned by the same uh, franchise. As a matter of fact, both logos designed here by the folks at the Idea Factory. How about that? All right, congratulations to the uh, 2023 Hockey Hall of Fame class for HNL. So here's the names. Uh, in the uh, builders category, Andy Brake, Ivan Hapgood, and Fraser Russell. Terrific fellas. And in the players category, Tolson Chapman. I would have thought Tolson Chapman would have been in the Hall of Fame a long time ago. But anyway, Tolson is in. Ray Dalton, Terry Ryan Jr., Tracy Sullivan. And in the media category, the late. Carl Lake, congratulations to all. They'll be inducted at the AGM in Gander on the 8th of June at the Albatross Hotel. Okay. So one good thing overnight is, you know, we didn't have as much freezing rain and ice buildup on the transmission lines that would cause serious outages. So we dodged a bullet there. But... Apparently, since the uh, 16th of this month, some dozen workers on heavy equipment are trying to plow through the snow to access some of the eight damaged towers on the Labrador Island Link. We've been warned about this many, many times. Remember when Liberty Consulting was presenting to the PUB? They repeatedly talked about the problems with access to some very remote terrain and the possibility for prolonged outages and rolling brownouts. Well, some eight towers have indeed been damaged. That was discovered on the 10th of February following a recent icing event. They say it's in and around the town, about 25 kilometers west of Terra Nova, and they say, Newfoundland Labrador Hydro, that they are aware of this area as being particularly prone to this type of ice buildup, so the tower's bent, so they've got to go in and do the work, and it's still going to take weeks to do. So this is going to be one of these long-running concerns, even if we're talking about things like now it has reduced capacity, it's only transmitting some 345 megawatts, usually had been transmitting some 450 megawatts, that's about half of the 900 megawatt maximum those lines were designed to carry, so there has been a test on at 700 megawatts. They have not done that high-power 900 megawatt test as of yet, but those damages are going to be something we'll keep an eye on throughout the course of the Muskrat Falls life and that Labrador Island link. Some 1,400, no, 1,100 kilometers of lines, and some of them in the long-range mountains. Bad weather, hard to get to, and I've got to bring in a massive crane to do the work as well, so I guess we're lucky that it's only as limited as eight towers being damaged, but when lights like last night had it been as bad as I thought it was going to be, then we might be telling a different story today. So discovered on the 10th, been plowing since the 16th. They're in there. The work began yesterday evening or yesterday afternoon. And as who knows how long it's going to take and no costs associated with it being released by Newfoundland Labrador Hydro. 
And then, of course, you know me, I'm all about the 2041 info that we are having a hard time coming by. But we do know there was five meetings out of province between our negotiators and those representing Hydro-Quebec and the government of that province. Anyway, stick it with power. So... Every single day, without fail, there will be emails talking about Newfoundland Power's rate hike applications. Of course, 1.5% this year, 5.5% next year. The PUB's already, before the process started, saying that there's going to be maybe a bigger or a larger implication on our bills come the uh, evaluation of these rate hike applications. And of course, the real concern for many people is the increase in the rate of return from 8.5% to 9.85%. But here's a question posed by a listener overnight, and this is about clearing trees. So I'm pretty sure the last time that there was any trees cleared away from power lines in my neighborhood, it was Newfoundland power trucks that were there. And this fellow says that he called and he was told, it's your responsibility. So which is it? Because I go to Newfoundland Power's website, and there's still a place there to submit a work order for trees to be removed or uh, uh, pruned back from the power lines. So I'm a little bit confused. Is there a distinction between the main power lines or the line to your home or whatever the case may be? But if you want to help me try to clear that up, let's do it. Okay, let's talk about the roads. And not, you know, the bad roads and the potholes and the like, but I'm still confounded or confused about Stephen Gibo. You know, when Minister Gibo was saying that the federal government would not invest in road infrastructure, and he tried to backpedal and said it won't invest in large road infrastructure, and I tried to go out and find some numbers associated with how the federal government in the past has been funding these types of projects. So right off the bat, when you look at some of the numbers that are available out there, the decision really feels like ideologically driven. You know, if he wants us to get away from the type of vehicles we use and all the rest of it, increase public transportation, and it's one thing to talk about high-speed rail in heavily populated areas like the 905, but this seems to be wrong-headed. Just here's some numbers to consider. So when we talk about trade in this country, since the 80s, interprovincial trade has declined, and now it's only half of international trade. And if we look at some of the estimates associated with the road infrastructure and how we use it, so about three-quarters of everything we trade across the provinces is shipped by truck. Internationally, about two-thirds of our exports are shipped that way. Rail, of course, is important too, but rail is generally used for much heavier, bulky items. But the problems are varied. So the different provinces have different rules and regulations and standards and certifications. But we need more funding, not less. It's not just about, you know, a place to drive your car. This is about trade and economic stability. So here's some of the numbers that I was able to find. Uh, Between 2004 and 2009, there was a big uptick in the amount of money spent by the federal government. But since then, spending on transportation infrastructure has fell by roughly 0.2% of GDP. That doesn't sound like a lot, but what it adds up to is roughly $5 billion less per year for critical infrastructure. So... Federal expenditures amounted to about $800 million in 2022. And if you look at the depreciation value of some of the existing infrastructure, which was at an estimated $670 million, it's pretty much nearly zero investment in 2022 from the federal government. Here's some more numbers for you to consider. And this is money that's set aside for what they call the National Trade Corridors Fund. Last year, there was $1.1 billion available in that fund meant to build roads, railways, airports, but the feds only spent $219 million. Prior to that, the year prior, there was $339 million available, but only $233 million was spent. 
before that, 463 million available, 164 million spent. So we're not even spending the money that they actually set aside for this type of infrastructure. They look at Canada's north, and they say with the required investment in Canada's north, the present value of future economic gains might be in the order of $100 billion. Where's the solution here? So. If you look at private and public monies, and nobody wants to hear about increased taxes, but if we're looking at what the end result will be for trade and economic upsides, here's what one economist has written. He said, every federal gas tax point is about $600 million. So if there was a minor tweak to the federal gas tax, which is still at 10%, it has never changed since it was first implemented. So they could, they're talking about additional billions of dollars. So Minister Gibo. Help us understand your rationale. For starters, it's confusing, and it shouldn't be as confusing. Minister Gibo has a knack of being a little bit confusing when he speaks on big policy matters. But where's the, where's the answer to this? Is it simply an ideological issue? Are we missing the boat and the point when we talk about the economic upside of investing in critical infrastructure, seaways and ports and roads and airports and railways? Apparently so, because I looked around at a bunch of people who... You know, and these are not people who are pro-liberal or pro-conservative. Many of the folks that I read, they've been criticizing and tearing down some of the numbers put forward by the liberal government. So I'm just trying to figure out whether or not this makes any sense at all, and seemingly it does not. Stick with the roads. So Brea, Renewable Fuels, formerly come by chance, is now producing uh, renewable diesel. I'd like to know where their customers are for that particular product, but that's pretty good news. Stick with the roads. So... We know the, all the confusion about the ride-sharing application that was submitted, and the person at the helm of Red Sea Riding has been charged with a number of serious sexually, sexual-related crimes. And hasn't been proven in court. And, you know, the department says, well, the process was followed, and this person would not be interacting with the general public, so it wasn't part of their checklist. But here's something else. So the submission was submitted on the 16th of January at 10.01 a.m., and at 1.16 the next day, it had been approved. Now, we're all familiar with just how slow government operates sometimes, especially when we talk about things like regulations and permitting and the like. But a day later, this was approved. And in a few days after that, of course, they ceased the approval because they learned about these uh, charges that have yet to be evaluated in court. But one day later, something as big as a ride-sharing app was approved. That's uh, an interesting spin on that story. Okay, sticking with the roads still confused and I think frustrated about the fact that the RCMP, when we talk about that crash out around Arnold's Cove where two young ladies were killed, and they sent a blood sample uh, for analysis at one of their labs in Ontario. They got the results back, but they won't tell us what they are. Look, for the fellow who was driving the SUV, a 71-year-old man, of course, he was hurt badly himself. And I would imagine, like the, I spoke to a few people that are around at the story and around the family yesterday. And they say, of course, he's getting physically better every day, but his mental health is deteriorating every day. Why? Because, of course, like all of us, would be haunted if we were involved in that type of accident. Add to it the public perception that when there's a statement that there's suspicions of impairment, that doesn't go away. So to me, and we're told... And it's going to be hard to get confirmation from our, the RCMP because they're not commenting any further. They say the investigation continues. But he's been told that his blood sample analysis came back as not being impaired. So why won't they tell us that? Because that comes across to me as patently unfair to that man and his family. If the results were negative and he was not impaired at the time of the accident, why don't you tell us?
there's maybe some reason, but I can't figure it out. That just really feels like unduly harsh and unfair to that man. So if Corporal Garland or anyone else or one of the comms people for the IRCMP would like to try to at least tell me why there's some sort of reason behind not releasing the results, because the results are back. Anyway, I'll take it on. Let's go. And as we heard when the Premier addressed the gathering at the Hospitality Newfoundland and Labrador uh, conference that's ongoing right now, they're talking about air access. And of course, we all understand that air access is going to be important for the tourism industry and for anybody else who wants to be traveling. And he gave us some of the numbers about what the uh, passenger volume is going to look like. The Premier says in St. John's be a 23% increase in air traffic. Deer Lake will experience a significant 32% increase in traffic. Overall, the province will see a 21% increase in inbound seat capacity over pre-pandemic levels. So, good news. And, you know, that sector needs to be supported. But at the exact same time, the very next day, one of the access points or one of the access carriers, links gone, ceasing operations as of Monday. And that is going to throw the traveling public into a massive frantic tizzy, you know, scrambling if you had seats booked on links. And they provided a pretty good service. You know, I think they were going Halifax, Montreal and Calgary at one point. But now Lynx Air gone by the wayside. So one of the airlines that was hopefully going to give us some sort of competitive landscape where we see some stability on rates even though it's extraordinarily expensive to travel via air okay what's this one all right let's go to the mining industry so what was seemed like really good news coming for the folks working in the scully mine uh, scully mine in western labrador of course Tacora resources they had a bunch of investors lined up to in to inject significant millions of dollars to improve operations and, of course, keep people gainfully employed. But one of the owners of Decora is Cargill, and people are familiar with Cargill. It's a massive company, absolutely massive company. So now, even after this deal looked like it had been arranged, now Cargill is getting in to, I guess, interrupt the proceedings because they say there are serious concerns about the sale process. Takora, fairly tight-lipped on this, but the thought is this is going to be a prolonged, dragged-out legal issue here. So for the folks at Takora who were feeling pretty optimistic and buoyant about what the future might look like with the millions of dollars that were sitting there ready to be invested, and now there's some sort of stall in play. And, of course, big conversations yet to be had about things like critical minerals, mining opportunities in the country, which... We have, we're one of the countries, one of the few democratic countries on the face of the earth with the amount of critical minerals required. And it doesn't matter if you want an electric vehicle. The companies out there are looking for these minerals, and they're actively trying to pursue opportunities. So you wonder where we are here. I know there's been a deal struck uh, with North Vault for some minerals to make not only electric vehicle batteries, but batteries for your laptop and your cell phone and a variety of other uses. But that decor news, a little bit concerning couple of interesting ones before we get to the news or pardon me get to the break story yesterday that i think was kind of giving people pause for concern is when serial killer robert pickton eligible for day parole it's been shot down so when you think about paul bernardo and when he was moved out of that maximum security prison and gay people were really uptight and understandably so but to even know that there's a possibility for parole now you hear me talk about rehabilitation but this guy was charged with 26 murders, convicted of six of them, sentenced to life in prison. He's in his 70s. But is there any, any reasonable argument that someone like Robert Picton would only leave prison in a pine box? 
So the day parole has been denied. And in that London, Ontario tragedy, where a young fella drove his truck onto the sidewalk and killed a family, orphaned one boy, he's now been found as deemed, pardon me, the act has now been deemed an act of terror. So he's been sentenced to life in prison, no parole with, before 25 years. I'm not going to utter his name, but apparently the implication here is there's been an applied concurrent sentence of life, or, or pardon me, for attempted murder. But the terror issue, and it's the first time that one of these types of acts has been deemed an act of terrorism here in this country. We know there's lots of anger and hate out there. He had written a manifesto very much like some other notorious evil serial killers elsewhere in the world. And so the Terror Act means, apparently, as I heard legal scholars speak to it yesterday, is that it can be factored in when indeed this fella is eligible for parole uh, 25 years after he began his sentence. But that story is unbelievable. All right, last one before we get to you. So, of course, lots of talk about the travel nurse issue and the millions of dollars spent. And some confusion amongst those who are sitting in a nursing school today about job offers. So we've got some numbers for you to consider. All right, let's see if I can get them all out in front of me here. There is one school that has about 100 100 graduating students, fewer than 25, had been offered permanent full-time jobs. Now, the minister says some of the hopes have to be tempered because not everybody's going to be able to work exactly where they want to in the unit that they want to. Okay, I can get that. But they're talking about the numbers of offers that have been in the form of temporary full-time offers, which is interesting. And I don't know what the hesitation would be, because the suggestion yesterday was that maybe they don't want to offer the benefits and pensions associated with permanent full-time, but I think as a temporary full-time, it's the same type of benefits. So I'm just a little bit confused as to why... We're not seeing more permanent offers. Here's the numbers. There are a total of 219 nurses graduating from three schools in the province this year. 168 have uh, been accepted full-time nursing positions, 75 of those being permanent, but the rest temporary. So the question is, why? You know, there's all kinds of debates we can have about how we find ourselves here with the kind of reliance that we've had on travel nurses, but there's still some confusion as to why so many of the offers are temporary versus permanent. And, of course, there are massive incentives to work in some of the harder-to-fill spots, including $24,000 worth of incentives for full-time permanent positions, Belle Island, Bonavista, Bjorn, Clarenville, Carbon Air, Placentia. There's a bonus, or pardon me, an incentive of $40,000 to work in a community clinic in Labrador. So, anyway, that's that is was not going away, is it? All right, big happy birthday to Brad Miles out on CBS. He's celebrating his birthday tomorrow. Apparently, he's a faithful listener to the program. So, Brad, hopefully, you have yourself a great birthday and I suppose a great birthday weekend. All right, we're on Twitter, where VOCM Open Line follows, sir. Email address is openline at VOCM.com. Oh, I was supposed to mention this. Generally, Dave in the afternoon will upload our show to the SoundCloud on our website, but the process has changed. So now, apparently, VOCM Open Line has been added to the Stingray Podcast Network, and that's going to be uploaded each day. So you'll be able to find the show to re-listen, or if you missed the show, you can find it wherever you get your podcast. Let's take a break. When we come back, tons of time for you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Let's begin this morning on line number five. Say good morning to the industry relations representative at the FFAW. That's Katie Power. And good morning, Katie. You're on the air. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Yes, thanks for having me. Back again. <laughs> Back again. So I think you want to start this morning talking about Bill C-49, of course, and that's to try to uh, amend the Atlantic Accord to allow for offshore wind. What, talk about the level of consultation that's gone on between the FFAW and the federal government on this particular proposed legislation. 
Um, so, yeah, that is definitely what I'm calling to address today. I know you brought that up with um, our president recently, and it is within my scope of work, so I can sort of speak to it a bit more broadly. Okay. Um, so in terms of consultation for the bill, there was virtually none. Um, we're kind of inserting ourselves into the situation now in the 11th hour as the amendments are kind of shuffling around and trying to get things in under the wire and, and kind of being considered more so, it, from my perspective, as an afterthought in terms of consultation for sure. Um, I was actually, I spoke, there's these House of Commons trials that are going on, which I really was never involved in in my life before, but kind of been up to my eyeballs in it as of late. And um, I was given about 24 hours notice to speak and address the House, um, to speak to this fisheries consultation piece and, you know, our concerns around the bill and that sort of thing. And it was really the first time that the inshore fishery in Newfoundland and Labrador was able to... Um, address the House and speak on our concerns with the bill. And that was on February 8th I spoke. What's at the top of the list of concerns? I mean, it just sounds pretty standard that, you know, an interruption of this potential magnitude on the fishing grounds would give obvious pause for concern. But talk us through some of the specifics. Okay, for sure. So, yeah, the, the concerns generally are around, you know, this First and foremost, it's the lack of transparency. We, we can't be supportive of something we haven't been involved in and we, we don't know about. So it's hard for us to say one way or the other if we haven't been involved in the sort of information process. Um, primarily, we are concerned with the displacement that's going to be happening offshore. So this bill, bill the original bill, the Accord Act, it, it addresses petroleum and offshore oil and gas. So to grossly oversimplify, they're try, what they're trying to do is, is take this same bill, sort of take the petroleum references and substitute offshore renewables and sort of say it works for this, so it will also work for that type thing. The, the issue with that, is, as I'm sure you can understand, is a number of things. But uh, for us, you know, fundamentally, offshore renewable energy te technologies are, are different. Like the wind turbines are, you know, significantly different from offshore petroleum exploration production technologies. And they carry different risks to marine ecologies and existing ocean users like fisheries. Um, they take up way more space. So there's no acknowledgement in this proposed legislation uh, for how fisheries would be compensated for being displaced. So should they be pushed out of a fishing area? There's no language in the bill that says that there's a way to compensate us there. And that is our biggest concern with, with the legislation. At this point, you know, the concerns are obvious. And I suppose there's no opportunity to be anything other than general because we don't really know exactly what's going to happen anyway. So is there any such thing as a footprint map or any proposals that you're aware of and where they would be set up and what, what impact that would have on certain species or, or anything specific other than the general concerns that being interrupted and displaced is a problem? That That is, is a big part of it. Um, the, the lack of transparency and sort of this gray area, it exists, uh, you know, fundamentally for the province. We don't know. There's no specific uh, plans or this sort of thing. So it, the expedition of this legislation, and again, we go back to, I think the last time I spoke to you, it was about this MOU that was signed for the jurisdiction in, in the bays for the province for offshore wind. So it just, it, it's it's. It's hard to be trusting 
loving and supportive of something when you just don't really know what the intention is and where things are going. And it again comes back to this lack of consultation, this lack of engagement, and this lack of our governments being forthcoming with their intentions of the plans. So we're, we're doing this regional assessment for offshore wind, as I'm sure you're aware of. And, I mean, FFAW and our members are thoroughly and heavily engaged in that process. But, again, something else we're lobbying for with these amendments in the bill is to have the regional assessment recommendations and findings, you know, legally binding, to have those instilled in the bill somewhere so that when we say these are protected, these are fishing grounds that need to be preserved and protected to, you know, sustain our resource, that there's something in the law that says that they have to follow that because otherwise this regional assessment and that whole process that we're going through by you know saying this is important area for us this and that sort of thing that whole process is sort of worth nothing if it has no there's there's no legally binding aspect to it so they're saying that consultations for offshore wind are occurring at these regional assessments for offshore wind meetings but there's no legal obligation there yeah so have you folks structured a suggested or recommended compensation model because that becomes extremely tricky now we can talk about landed values and that's a fairly easy number to come up with if the dfo says here's a total allowable catch of this species or that species and we'll know what the market is going to pay that particular season so it's easy to come up with the landed value so what is compensation structure are you talking about 100 percent compensation or is there things that we need to consider i think in order to, uh, realistically there wouldn't be the need for something like that just because with the appropriate levels of consultation and you know the, these conversations that we have in terms of you know open-ended feedback and discussing there there should be ways where we can you know environmentally and responsibly coexist because it I happens feel. elsewhere yes well to a degree i'll say that to a degree it happens elsewhere so there, before we get into, you know, this absolute 100% absence of mitigation, we are just going to totally force you out and here's compensation, I would like to have it be, you know, that would, would be my sort of last step. I would like, there, I think there's a hundred other steps that we can work through before we have to get to that point. Fair enough. Uh, anything else on that front? Because I want to sneak in one more question before I have to go. Um, I guess, I, again, getting back to the displacement thing, just to sort of place it in, in space for, for listeners, is that the average European capacity densities for offshore wind turbines and farms is about 5 megawatts per square kilometer. So if we want to put a 5 gigawatt structure in the Newfoundland and Labrador offshore using offshore wind turbines, that's about... Uh, 5,000 square kilometers of offshore ocean that is going to need to be taken up. And, you know, fish harvesters, you know, there's gear capability. Their gear can't work in there. You can't trawl in, in, a, in a wind turbine. So there's just some obvious questions and concerns that have to start with the appropriate writing of this legislation in order for us to, you know, have trust and faith in the process because we don't have any safeguards right now. Fair enough. Uh, and I know this is not necessarily your ballywick as the industry relations representative, but with the ongoing petition that's on ourcommons.ca about the recreational food fishing and expansion to some 90 days and, you know, I don't know if the right phrase is a free-for-all, but a much more extensive opportunity for recreational harvesters. I know we've heard from some commercial harvesters and their opposition to it. Does the FFAW have a, uh, a policy on this one? 
I wouldn't be able to speak to that, okay. unfortunately. So I would have to pass along that call to somebody else. But uh, I hope I can get some, If you're looking to get somebody, I can try my best. Yeah, sure. Even if they just want to send me, so like if Courtney wants to send me an email, just something to put out there because the folks, the proponents behind this petition are wondering if the FAW has a, uh, an actual policy in response to. So anyway, if you can get Courtney to send me something, that would be great. And I appreciate I absolutely your time. I will. Thank, Thank you, you, Katie. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Katie Power, Industry Relations Specialist or Representative, pardon me, with the FFAW. Just before we get to this uh, 9.30 break, just want to say congratulations, bravo, to our very own Linda Swain. Apparently today is Linda's 35th anniversary in the business. So she's left her mark, make no mistake about it. She's a woman of integrity. She's a terrific co-worker and a consummate news person. So congratulations, Linda, 35 years, something to be proud of. Let's take a break. When we come back, time for you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number four. Good morning, Roosevelt. You're on the air. Yes, hello there. Good morning. How are you? I'm calling from Point Lenington as a concerned citizen regarding those winds. Uh, we had a meeting here this past this week, uh, Wednesday night, mm-hmm. a public meeting. Uh, it was held by uh, a couple of individuals who have done a nice bit of research into what's going on with those turbines and that, and was uh, sort of a information meeting, I guess, for the general public. Was everyone was was invited? We had a nice turnout, and uh, I don't know very much. Very, I know very little about this project or anything about it, but I just know that I'm very concerned when I find out some of the details that been especially been exposed at that meeting regarding to the amount that's going to be uh, erected in the area and and the uh, I'd be very concerned about the, the, the devastating effect that's going to have on the old uh, the area in regards to uh, I mean I grew up here, I was born and raised there my seventy plus years I lived in this area and used to being able to access the uh, forest and the wildlife and the hunting and fishing and whatever. And it seems to me that from hearing what's going on with this this project, I mean, uh, virtually all that's going to be eliminated uh, after this project is finished. Now, I probably won't live to, to, to see the effects of it, but my I got grandchildren that already got the, the, the same interest that I had all my life and enjoy the uh, the outdoors and, and the, the... Well, I mean, most people live in this area. Is, this is the reason that they live here, because they have such uh, access to things like this and to have a project such as this come in and destroy the old country, uh, from what I hear is going to happen. And... Um, Again, I guess my lack of cons- my concern is the lack of interest that seems to be there for the uh, governing officials, like the town council, for instance. We had a public meeting that was uh, announced and advertised, and not one councillor showed up to the meeting. Now, if the councillors are comfortable with what's going on, they could have showed up to the meeting and let us know that, and let us know why they're comfortable, because they got the assurances that everything's going to be okay. Or if they don't know, they should show up and give us some assurance that they will find out before anything happens. Or, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very concerning. And uh, there was a lot of people there that expressed some the same concerns that, that once you hear about it, the same concerns that I have. And, and the concerns that don't seem to be addressed and 
it seems like we've got all kinds of questions and absolutely no answers. So... Uh, is it fair for me to say that some of the activities that you describe that you enjoy, that your grandchildren are displaying the same enjoyment of, that will simply be displaced, not eliminated forever, might not be able to take place exactly where you could today, and if and when these turbines are erected, that the things that you love to do in the great outdoors, whether it be hunt or fish or hike or pick berries or what have you, will simply happen somewhere different. Is that fair? Or do you think all of these things go away? Well... <laughs> What we, what I guess what you're saying, we would have to pack up and travel somewhere where this is not uh, some other part of the province where this is this project is not going on to, in order to hunt and fish, because uh, I mean they're, they're, this is a big area they're talking about here, and I mean just go back to I, I bought a, a Hargo, uh probably 20 years ago, yep. and there was some concerns at that time. Uh, when uh, the, 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 wouldn't they allow you to use the hargo on on a bog area, and and, and uh, so it got to the point that uh, I sold my hargo again because I couldn't use it. I only had it a year, and sold it because I couldn't use it. I, w- I wasn't allowed to go across the bog with it and all that. And even right now, if you were to apply for a moose license, and you, get, you once you get your license, you'll get a. Uh, instructions with it saying if you're to retrieve a moose from the bog, you you're only allowed to make I think it's five trips, like uh, one for each quarter of your moose and, and your head or something like that. You know, so uh, you can only just walk across the bog like uh, five times. So uh, yet they'll let this project go ahead and destroy the the, the bogs totally. So where's the concern for the environment, gone? You know, if this is what what's going to happen, and which seems like this is what is forging forward, you know. You know, the folks who are in full-throated support are talking about the economic uptick. Now, I can't put words in anybody's mouth, one mayor or another, but I think it's accurate to say that, for instance, with Botwood as being the proposed hub of activity for this wind, hydrogen, ammonia play, you know, I think the mayor of Botwood has talked very bullish and optimistic about the opportunities here because, you know, certain areas where these proposals are in place, whether it be on the Port of Port Peninsula, and that's also a huge uh, geographical footprint, about 40% of the peninsula will be consumed with wind turbines. Same thing in Exploits Valley. It's a big proposal. So they're thinking that the economics are the, the real key here. Now, no one should just shrug their shoulders at environmental concerns. Absolutely not. They've got to be at right near the top of the priority list for questions, debates, and concerns, and evaluations or assessments. But for places that these, some of these proposals are in, there's a need for you know, some population stability and some jobs look, uh, close by, even though most of the jobs will be during the construction phase. I don't know how many full-time permanent jobs after the turbines are spinning, but I guess that's why people in the, certain parts of the, the uh, province, including the Exploits Valley, are still optimistic that this is going to come to town. But I understand where you're coming from, Roosevelt. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand, too, that jobs are important, and uh, uh, but, I mean, we can't have jobs at any cost. You know, I mean, there should be some. Uh, uh, fine, fine to have good jobs, but we only just sit in the house and uh, watch TV. And you know, I mean, there's there's, there's a lifestyle that's uh, really going to be disrupted with the, with this project. You know, I understand. And you know, I would go a step further and say, there's a cost in every industry. There's a direct, directly related cost, whether we're talking about the way we've relied on oil and mining and forestry, they all come with environmental impacts. And I don't think we're ever going to come up with some sort of industrial application or some uh, sector of the economy that doesn't have an environmental impact. And so your points are well understood and taken here this morning. Would you like to add anything else while we have you? 
no, that's that's it. I I, I would just like for someone to get a, get get on the open line or on on somewhere and let people give people more knowledge of what's going on. It seems to be everything is being done in secret and. Uh, we're not informed at all. I went to this meeting just to try to find out some things because like, you're hearing rumors of everything, and uh, and those uh, couple of young people, uh, the Robert and Leanne, who've done a lot of research into it, spent a lot of time, seem to come up with a lot of questions, but don't seem like anybody's giving them or anybody any real answers. And so, uh, you know, something to this magnitude shouldn't go ahead without being the, the the general public being informed a lot better than what they are right now. Yeah, well, I mean, town halls hosted by the proponent are and should be helpful. Also, but, you know, even when we talk about public disclose, disclosure, even with World Energy GH2 out on the Port of Port Peninsula, their submission to the province was released publicly. It was a huge document that was, in some areas, technologically way over my head so even some of the information that's out there it's hard to digest it's hard to break it down into bite-sized morsels that you know me and you and the general lay public can wrap our minds around and really understand what's being said and anyway roosevelt i appreciate making time for the show we're happy to keep the conversation going no thank you my pleasure take good care bye-bye uh and that topic is up for debate absolutely dave i couldn't hear what you said when i was uh, speaking with the gentleman okay Let's go to line number three. Kenny, you're on the air. Hi, Kenny, on three. Hello. Hello there. How you doing? Doing okay. How you doing? And uh, I just want to put what are people here on the hill now going to do about the gas? Wasn't there a fuel delivery yesterday? Uh, I'm not sure. That was the report I remember reading at some point yesterday that there was indeed a fuel delivery to the island yesterday. Dave, do you remember that news story? I'm pretty sure that's what we saw. Yeah, I think that that gas station issue has been resolved. Have you checked today to see if it's open? Kenny? Yes. Have you checked today to see if it is open and serving? No, I was not that way. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, and I'll see if I can find the news story very quickly, but yeah, there was a delivery of fuels yesterday to Bell Island, so hopefully that concern has now been addressed. Because there's people here down in the hospital and all that, are sick and all that, and... Well, I mean, you, you need fuel available on the island for every reason imaginable, of course. Oh, yes. Yeah. So all you right. should be all set. All right. You're welcome, Kenny. Take care. All right. Yeah, the, the fuel was delivered yesterday, I'm almost certain. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about, we know we just had a by-election in Conception Bay, East Bell Island. And after the passing of Derek Bragg, there's now another vacancy. And, of course, that's out of uh, Fogo, Cape Friels. So the mayor of New West Valley, Mike Tiller, would like to discuss that. And then we have plenty of time for Neil to talk about collections agencies. Ted wants to talk about something that I'm not exactly sure what it means. A mine in Panama. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Say good morning to the mayor of New West Valley. That's Mike Tiller. Mayor Tiller, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Doing grand today. Thank you. How about you? Doing wonderful, sir. I'm super excited to be able to use your platform to announce that I'm going to be seeking the Liberal nomination for the uh, upcoming by-election for the District of Fogo, I'm in Cape Prius. Okay. Uh, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, I've lived here all my life. I'm uh, involved in the community. I'm involved in the district. I've uh, just spent the last 20 years uh, as a paramedic and a, and a volunteer firefighter. I've, I've helped people through thick and thin, day and night, 365 days a year. 
and I can think of no better way that I can continue to help and support the people of this district than by taking the next step and uh, hopefully becoming the next MHA. I don't know if I missed it or not, but you're looking to run on, uh, under the Liberal banner to replace yes, I the late Jack Brack? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess some of the general questions, and these are sometimes feel like throwaways, but why the Liberals? Because, you know, at some point, we've got this habit here in the province of we'll have a government for two or three sittings and then we'll vote the other way. So why your support for the Liberal Party in the direction that you think the province might be heading? Patty, I guess it's because of the working relationship that I uh, formed being the mayor of New West Valley. Uh, with the uh, issues that we had here with health care, I had many, many conversations with uh, Minister Osborne. He was super supportive. I mean, he was somebody that I could text with an issue, and within uh, 12 to 24 hours, he was back. We had a, a many conversations on the phone trying to figure out ways to, to keep our hospital open for the region. Uh, I also had, uh, we had an issue with an RFP for our upcoming water treatment plant. Uh, Minister Bragg was super supportive, giving us meetings with Minister Abbott. Uh, we went in, we talked to Minister Abbott, we talked to uh, uh, the... Uh, we talked to the ministers in the department, and we had some virtual meetings after that. And, you know, we changed the RFP to make it something that we were comfortable with. And we are uh, on par now to start to get that signed off on so we can make that a reality. Uh, and I was uh, actually very impressed uh, the fall, uh, right after the fishery, I think it was early October, uh, the premier, the minister of fisheries, uh, Derek was there. Uh, there were some fishermen there. There were also representatives from Biotic Fish. And it was just a roundtable discussion of how to uh, keep the crab crisis that happened from happening again. And I had never seen uh, the premiers or the ministers take such a, a hands-on role in, in coming out. I mean, I know it was 7 o'clock in the night. They had met with other plants during the, that day. And, you know, just trying to figure out how to keep this from happening again. So that, you know, and, and having some, you know, different conversations with different ministers into the M&L convention that I was at, it, I, I like where they're going, so I want to be a part of that team. So what is the status of uh, the healthcare landscape out in Co uh, Fogo Cape Friels? You know, you mentioned that, you know, working with the minister to keep the clinic or the hospital up and running. So is everything up and running? Do you have full-time permanent staff that keep all the, the various units operational? We have not had a, a diversion at um, well, Dr. Y.K. John in, I'd say, the last six or seven months. I know uh, I'm not as up to date on Fogo Island, although I will be taking a, a more stronger, obviously, approach to Fogo Island. Uh, but I haven't heard any rumblings to say that, you know, it has been closed for an extended period of time. The family health care team that was announced for the CWT and this region, well, the whole uh, region that the, uh, the health authority takes care of out here. Uh, two weeks ago, I sat in on a virtual meeting with Central Health and they're still looking to hire a nurse practitioner to get that family care team up and running. So that, of course, will enable more people to be able to go to that family care team from the whole region, take the pressure off the hospital, and, you know, have, have somewhere where people can go and get the continuity of care. Yeah, because there was majorly concerns uh, on Fogo Island for quite a long time, not only in healthcare, but things like RCMP presence, and that's been settled or solved. So uh, congratulations. You know, I, I do think it's uh, encouraging when people are still willing to go at it because, as we hear, there's the political discourse, and maybe that has – it's pretty thankless stuff, but, you know, that just, I guess it's part and parcel with the operation itself. Uh, good luck on the trail. Thank you so much, Patty, and, and looking forward to uh – 
to talking with you and, and hopefully meeting up one day for a chat. Any idea about when and if it's going to be called? Because that's another concern that's been looming. Uh, the nomination for the Liberal Party is going to be called today, actually. So uh, our nomination will close next Thursday. And then depending on how many, I know uh, Tony Keats has already expressed his uh, desire to run yep. uh, for the Liberal Party. So uh, I guess there'll have to be a runoff in between myself and, and Tony and who else, who else might ever, who else might want to run for the Liberal Party. And then I guess it's up to the other parties to call for their nominations. Right. I, and we haven't heard the Premier call for the specific date of the by-election or whether or not it's going to be part of a general election. But I guess we'll all find out. And of course, that would be two municipal leaders, yourself out in New West Valley, and Tony Keats was the mayor of Dover. Yeah, and, and like I say, I'm, it, I'm glad to see that people are stepping up. And uh, it's go- I, hopefully it'll be a, uh, a nice, clean uh, runoff and and i uh, i hope to be the one to come out on top and represent the people of this district like i've done for the last 20 odd years when do you have to step down from your role as mayor i'm still waiting on from here from mnl on that i don't know if we have to take a leave of absence or i've uh, put out a call to mnl and i'm sure uh, mayor keats is on the same thing so i'm just waiting to see now what they uh, what they come back with uh yeah i think there is a requirement to, to uh Take a leave of absence like Tina Neri did as the PC candidate in Conception Bay East Bell Island, where she's a councillor in Portugal Cove, St. Phillips. I appreciate the time, uh, Mayor Teller. Stay in touch. Thank you, sir. We'll be in touch. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, there you go. And then there were two. Let's go to line number two. Good morning, Neil. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, Patty, and thanks for taking my call. Happy to do it. Patty, a little frustrated today. Uh, I've been receiving a little bit of harassment for the past three weeks from a collection agency. And while that in itself is frustrating, what's more frustrating is I'm placed there by Eastern Health. Uh, a little bit of a backstory here. I had an unfortunate accident in September and required the services of an ambulance. Uh, my experience at Eastern Health was top-notch, world-class. Uh, everybody took fantastic care of me from the ambulance attendants through emergency, through surgery, through recovery. Fantastic experience. But... I received the ambulance bill, chose not to pay it on principle alone, so my own fault for being with the collection agency. But my train of thought is, as a life resident of this province and a taxpayer, if I need the services of the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary or the St. John's Regional Fire Department or the Canadian Coast Guard or 103 Search and Rescue Squadron, all I'm going to get from those folks is their well wishes for a speedy recovery. The fact that... Uh, I needed this support in my time of need and to be put with the collection agency for a bill of $150, I think is a little petty. Uh, considering if we can spend north of $200 an hour for a travel nurse, uh, what about us Newfoundlanders in our time of need? Yeah, I mean, we actually had a call on this exact issue just the other day about the fact that you'll get a bill for $115 and there's a potential for a $50 escort fee as well. And, you know, Unlike many other things that you mentioned, and I think they're fair points, call the RNC, call the fire department, uh, search, re- search and rescue 103 or Coast Guard or what have you, and no bill, just the professional services. But it's separated out in, from the Canada Health Act. There's actually a, a piece of legislation that deals specifically with ambulances. We've heard people chime in from other parts of the country, and just for context, an ambulance ride in the province of Alberta, 400 bucks. Here at 115, I, st- I still know that it's, you know, an unexpected shock because I would imagine there was people listening to that phone call earlier this week where they had no idea. Like, I've never been in the back of an ambulance, knock on wood, and but I do know there's a bill coming, but I guarantee you people heard that call and had no idea that there was a charge for an ambulance. 
I understand that people are struggling. Uh, I'm well capable of paying that bill. That's not the issue here. Whether it's $100 or $500, for me, it's a matter of principle. I have no intentions of paying it, and I'll stay uh, with that collection agency till the cows come home. But I just think that we deserve better. Say, if we can spend $200 plus an hour for a travel nurse, uh, I'm sure that a Newfoundlander who's been living here his whole life and pays his taxes uh, I, I deserve better than that, and I won't be paying the bill. I just want to bring it out there for, uh, I guess, public consumption and see if anybody else wants to chime in on this. Yeah, and they're welcome to do exactly that because uh, the fellow who got that particular bill, he was pretty shocked. I had an email from another family and relieved the uh, the loved one's diagnosis and, uh, and issues out of it. But over the course of time, there were 75 trips in an ambulance, and they were lucky enough to have some Blue Cross coverage, which covered about 80%. So just put that out there if folks are thinking that maybe a loved one from belong to me is in a particular uh, set of circumstances regarding their health that where ambulance rides are going to become more and more predictable that maybe just want to have a tiny look around at some additional coverage if that's going to be the case uh neil i appreciate the time sorry that it's happening Thanks, Patty. take care and say again a big shout out to uh, the staff at eastern health they were fantastic uh i've nothing but accolades and roses for those folks but uh, something has to change with respect to the ambulance charges. Thanks, Patty. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, there's a separate piece that covers off the ambulances. Uh, let's go in before we get to the news. Let's see line number three. Sharon, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. Hi, Patty. Uh, I'm calling about snow clearing. I live in here on Pasadena Crescent. Okay. And... Well, every other day, well, if we're lucky enough to get ploughed out the day we get the storm, or the second day. So yesterday, they were coming and taking some of the snow away from the banks. So we all had to move our rigs and everything outside the road, and which we did. So last night, uh, they pulled all the snow off of the bank, put it right in the driveway, halfway to the driveway. So I couldn't get into my parking spot. And that was all right. I got a call after 11 uh, about moving my rig, but I, I didn't know where to move her to. So that was all right. I left her out there, and it goes out this morning. I get your $75 ticket. Yeah. Which is, which is ridiculous when we got to move. I mean, you know, we're all uh, assigned our own parking spot, and then you go out and get your ticket. So... There's Mesa still out there today, so who's to say my part, my rig is still outside? But it's it's not on the main road; it's just there on the side where we always have to park. So I get the seventy-five dollar ticket. I phoned Martech yesterday to see what, because that's the ones that you know that owns the buildings. And I phoned them; they had no reply. And then I went out this morning, so my rig is still out there. I'm not paying $75. I mean, I'm asked to move. I don't know when I have to move or when I have to move back. So, and there's several more rigs besides mine out there with that ticket stuck on the windshield this morning. I mean, we didn't have it like this when Snowmageddon was there. I think it's ridiculous, really. So, the owners of the building told you you had to move. Well, uh, no, it's a caretaker. He phoned me nearly after 11 last night. Okay. And I didn't know where to move because there was another vehicle block of my space that I usually come into, and then all this snow was right out in the middle of the parking lot. So where the hell am I going to bring her to? In with me? 
you know, I mean, I think it's I think it's nuts. You know, when you have to move, and if your rig is there, it's not that it's out in the middle of the road. It's parked right in beside us. Right. Yeah, it's it's going to be standard, and of course, people don't like getting tickets. And I've had one of those tickets. Fell asleep on the couch one night. The problem for my ticket was <laughs> there was no snow, nothing on the ground, nothing for the the plow to come by and scrape. So I got a ticket on a perfectly clear, dry night. And of course, with a lot yeah. of snow clearing that has to take place here, that those rules are they're no wavering. Everyone who's been parking in the road after midnight is going to get a ticket without question. That's, yes, I can understand that. But, I mean, we had this, my daughter had it on video with the snow that's out in our parkway. And, I mean, we had a play, yesterday we couldn't, we didn't know. I understood that the trucks were going to be and the snow plow was going to be here late last night and, you know, try and clear up the mess. They haven't even started on my side yet. I mean... There's, there's people here now, and I mean, like, you know, there uh, elderly people that have to be watched out getting buried in, trying to park somewhere else. I mean, for you're paying $200 a month condo fees, plus you're paying $1,000 to the city. So why isn't the city doing it? I don't really have an answer for that question, and I know it's poisoning to get a ticket like that when you were told that you had to move from your spot by the caretaker and then lo and behold you wake up and that's the end result $75 later. Sharon I gotta get yeah. to the news but I appreciate your time what are you gonna do you're not gonna no, pay the okay. ticket are you? What? You're not gonna pay the ticket? No intention. <laughs> no. Okay. I appreciate the call. You take care. Thank you Petty. Bye bye. Okay bye bye. Alright let's take a break for the news when we come back Ted you're next don't go away. Welcome back to the show let's go to line number five. Ted you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Hi, Ted. <laughs> Thank the Lord for technology. I, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't realize that I had a charger that I could use for the cell phone because sometimes if I'm waiting to go on with you or something like that, you know, that uh, cell phones go, uh, they can go, uh, the phone can get off dead and it looks like I uh, hung up or something like that. I never do that, okay? Okay. But anyway, I got her going. And before I speak, um, uh, I'm glad to get the opportunity. I should have probably waited to the slower day because you're so busy. No on problem. the mining, especially gold mining in in the province, right? Which I'm, which I keep on top of. I was watching um, <clears throat> uh, what's that program? W five yeah. the other night. I don't very often watch. I was scanning through, and what caught my attention uh, was the shutdown of a major, major project in Panama. One of the biggest, one of the bigger uh, copper produce open pit, I think, in, in Panama. That's been shut down. I think the uh, company in question, I think it's First Quantum. I'm not, I'm pretty sure. And they're a Canadian-based company that are uh, uh, based on, or they're based, uh, and they're under the TSX, right? But uh, the bit that I watched of it, uh, apparently, they're only Canadian name only because I think there's only about three people uh, with Canadians that are associated with that company. Now, but I'm didn't the courts that didn't, because, didn't the Panama uh, court shut down the mine? No, the pan the mine the mine has been shut down. Uh, the people up up there. You had the fellow on earlier talking about environment. You can check you can check this out or go into it deeper. I suppose it uh, may not be a major concern here in the province, but. To me, like I just seen 
what power is in the, you know can be in the people down there, whether it's for good or for bad. But this project has been shut down. It's a multi-billion-dollar project. Uh, the people of Panama got up against the company, I guess, to uh, concern about the uh, have nothing else to turn on or to leave to their children, things like that. But apparently, there is there has been. Um, corruption, not only within the company, but also within the government in Panama. Now, the last time, um, I've never heard the word Panama much, you know, in the last number of years. I I know Panama Canal, that's about as much as I know about it. But what sparked my attention was when I saw the word Panama, I said, my uh, good Lord, I remember years ago, and I remember I lived through it, and it's not that long ago, I guess quite a few years, but when um, the former premier of the province, Mr. Smallwood, brought in the um, the, the big promoter from Panama, uh, John C. Doyle, okay? I uh, That's what caught my attention there. John C. Doyle, I don't know if you remember it or not, uh, you're quite a bit younger than I am, but he was the promoter that... Um, Started the line on board mill, I think it was in Stephenville, and uh, brewing that down there. He was quite a promoter, okay? And, uh, well, you know, it was uh, like, uh, you know, there's some people, oh, you know, he's a cooker, he's this or he's that. But that's what brought my attention uh, onto uh, Panama. Now, I wanted to touch briefly on the, uh, on the, uh, Mining in the, in in our province. Just and before we just before we leave Panama. So this is a quote from the W five story that appeared on CBC uh, CTV, and apparently that program is being cancelled after decades in the business. In November, Panama Supreme Court ruled that the government's concession with the company is unconstitutional. The agreement would have secured Panama at least. Uh, Three, or pardon me, $375 million American a year, which was more than 10 times the previous deal and the largest private investment in the country's history. So the court shut it down. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to argue on that with the way uh, uh, the court shut it down, okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I, the way I looked at when I saw on there, that had a lot to do with the people of Panama, the ordinary people in Panama. That's the impression that I was left with when I watched it, that it was shut down. Well, now the courts shut it down. There had to be, uh, there had to be some, uh, for a court to shut something down, there would have to be, uh, uh, I don't to assume, I don't like assuming, there would have to be uh, fraud either on the part of the uh, company or the um, or the uh, or the politicians involved. Am I correct on that? Yeah, well, they, they're talking about the fact that the courts are talk, looking at uh, water supply issue, environmental issues, and so the yeah. protests. I mean, the picture of the protests here are unbelievable. But so basically, based on what I, my very limited knowledge on this issue, is that the Panama Supreme Court ruled that the government's concession regarding the water supply was unconstitutional, and consequently, they shut the mine down. That's yeah, I took a glance at the uh, at the stock market yesterday. Uh, I uh, dropped out. I told you before a friend of mine, right? I keep up to date a bit, right? I'm certainly no expert on this on this topic. Me neither. But I see uh, uh, something else I was going to uh, pertaining to uh, uh, Panama. Okay, I slipped my mind for a minute. I'm usually sharp as a tack. <laughs> I was just after into my coffee, halfway into my coffee there when I. Uh, we all, and I, uh, when I was talking to your producer, uh, if I got time, I just uh, I want to just uh, talk briefly, and I can always follow up on this topic at a later date. Sure. But um, 
uh, the mining in in the the gold mining in the province, especially. Okay, I uh, and I do follow it. Okay, um, the uh, you know we have talks. I can name of several uh, gold mine uh, gold mines in this province. They're talking about this uh, yoke supposed to be good, but I haven't seen. Any of them produce uh, a, a one gram of physical evidence to satisfy me. Now, the, the companies are um, Sakamon, that's one of them. I think uh, the Minister of Natural Resource, I think that's Mr. Parsons. I think he mentioned that name a couple of weeks ago. There's uh, Newfound Gold, that's supposed to be a big one. Then uh, Sakamon, Newfound Gold, and uh, there's a new one on the scene now on the Vancouver Exchange called Golden Ridge. Uh, resources. Yeah, and then now, there's Marathon, all, there's Valentine. I'm going to get into Marathon now because, Patty, I've been involved, and I called you in 2016, and I spoke on Marathon, and I, another time I talked, and I also spoke uh, way. I have been involved uh, with Marathon, you know, as a small investor, since 2016. Now, uh, for uh, several weeks there uh, uh, in a row, and I didn't see it, but it was on the local television station. Uh, Maritime in particular left the impression that everything was good, everything was rosy. Now, all of a sudden, I know right now, and I know because I got, I got shares in it, that Maritime no longer exists in that Valentine League project. The company that's got that taken over now is a company called uh, Caliber. Caliber mining. That's what my and my few shares are are under that. Okay, but I would uh, love to hear an update on you know how how Caliber is doing. How is it proceeding down there in that project? Um, I, uh, I I just haven't heard anything, and I certainly would appreciate uh, the update. I also said to you a few years ago that Franco Nevada was involved down there in that project. I know, because they, I would estimate right now, quick guess, um, that they've got about anywhere from 50 to 60 million involved down there in that, especially that uh, Valentine Lake or Maritime Gold. Now, I think it's a good project. I really do. But I'm uh, for, year, for years, and I'm sick and tired of hearing companies like that blaming everything on COVID, uh, on COVID, okay? Yes, I know. Uh, not only the mining industry had problem, the restaurants, everything had problem. Well, we got to either live with, uh, with, with COVID, I'll say, and get, okay, and, and get on with it. Quit using that for an excuse. But what I'm asking you now, now uh, as a caller, to see if you, sir, can get an update on how's everything, how everything is going down in Caliber, uh, with that Caliber company down in the Valentine Lake program. I know a, a bit about it, Patty. I've spoken on your program, I think, uh, two or three times. The first call I ever made was on, on the Maritime Gold uh, project. I like to even remember what you said. I think I spoke with one time um, with Linda. Uh, keep me... Uh, in your, in your kind way, see if you can get an update, see how everything is going, see if when the plans to, I think they got to get the smelter going down there. But I'll state this before I go. They talk about all the gold and all, all what we got in the province. Maybe there's lots of it. I don't know. But man, as an investor, show me physical evidence. Show me at least, not an ounce okay. of gold, or one gram of gold. Let me see what I can I find out, Ted. That, eh? Let me see what I can find out. 
Listen, and thank you very much. And before and before I go, I want to because uh, you were a great help, and I I I know you got the picture of my couch that I was talking about, and I think you look at it, I think it's a very nice picture. But in the meantime, my good friend there, uh, not the auctioneer this time, Wayne George, okay? Wayne is working on trying, we know we know what family it came from, we know it's over 100 years old, but what we're trying to get now, uh, we think we can get it as, as who made that couch, okay? Okay. If I find out that information, I will pass it on to you, okay? Yeah, so Wayne sent me the picture. Okay? Yeah, appreciate okay. it, Ted. Off I go. Okay, and thank you for everything, Patty. I hope I wasn't uh, too confusing talking about mines and gold and silver. I, you know. Anyway, get an update on that caliber down there. All that glitters is not gold, okay? Thanks, Ted. Thanks very much, and thank you, Dave. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Bill C-49, which we already have discussed with the FFAW representative this morning, and that's amendments to the Atlantic Accord to allow for offshore wind and then the food fishery. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number three. Say good morning to the Conservative Member of Parliament, elected in and serving the folks of Costa Bay, Central, Notre Dame. That's uh, Cliff Small. Good morning, Cliff. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you doing? Doing okay. How about you? Pretty good. Can you hear me all right? Not, it's a little bit quiet, but go ahead. We'll try to turn you up on our end. How's this? Any better? Much better. Thank you. Okay. So I, I heard Katie Power uh, this morning uh, talking to you there and outlining some of the concerns uh, that the fishing industry have uh, with uh, Bill, Bill C-49. In fact, uh, I submitted Katie Powers' uh, name to come witness before the Standing Committee on Natural Resources, and uh, stakeholders from throughout the fishing industry in Atlantic Canada, and in fact, we had some witnesses come in from the eastern seaboard of the U.S. Uh, in the Long, Long Island area that have had experience with offshore wind. So uh, it was great to, to hear the stakeholders present their case and to appeal for changes to the bill that doesn't leave them left out in the cold. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to know, here's some of the gray area for me, because, I mean, in general terms, obviously there will be some activity displaced if and when there are any offshore wind operations that ever come to pass off our shores. It'd be nice to know exactly, you know, we've been told that the companies are kicking the tires here, and they've approached the department and approached Hydro and all the rest of it, but proposals for where and to what magnitude and what scale and then we'll have a better idea just about what fishing grounds may be negatively impacted how many harvesters may indeed be displaced because we really just have general concerns now as opposed to if and when the act is amended and then we see proposals come forward and we have some specifics to deal with then we'll be in a better position to know exactly what the impact will be not to negate the fact that the fish harvesters have concerns because of course they do they're going to have to share territory with wind turbines Exactly. So basically the area of interest uh, around Newfoundland and Labrador shores uh, stretch from basically Cowhead on the west coast, uh, wraps around the south coast of the island up to Placentia Bay. And so far there are no proposals that we know of nope. and we're not sure if there's anyone interested. But I understand there was a third phase in the uh, Stephenville project that was looking at putting wind uh, turbines in Bay St. George, but I think that uh, was withdrawn. But uh, it seemed to be starting out in, in Nova Scotia, and I was just I was looking at a text earlier that I had from 
Michael Barron of the Cape Breton Fish Harvesters Association, and he's telling me there's a 400 square foot, uh, sorry, square kilometer area off Cape Breton where uh, they'll be completely pushed off those fishing grounds if that if that goes ahead. And I'll just uh, I'll paint a little picture for you, for you, Patty. I don't know you you've been driving onto Trans Canada and there's some mist, and you come up behind a tractor trailer, and the vortex uh, concentrates the precipitation in its path. Uh, wind turbines do the same thing. So basically, uh, in a wind field, in a wind turbine field, uh, when there's any precipitation whatsoever falling, that uh, wind turbine field is a black hole to marine radar. So uh, fish harvesters can't even get insurance to not, not let alone fish in there, but to uh, transnavigate through it. So if uh, if there's conflict, then it's it becomes very serious. Uh, even if by some means fishermen are allowed to fish within the wind field, they won't get insurance for the vessels to do so. So you're telling me that even something like an EPIRB wouldn't work in that scenario? Uh, no, an, EP, an EPIRB would work, but if you're, if you're navigating in restricted visibility, such as in fog, yep. uh, the wind turbines will create enough vortex and they'll they'll concentrate the the precipitation such that the the vessel won't be able to uh, identify the structures. Uh, it's it's just like the radar blocks out. So and this was some testimony that we received from the folks in Long Island. Yeah, there's been a couple of uh, proposals that were in the northeastern United States that have been axed for a variety of reasons. So, you know, I, I don't think we're going to see any formal proposals until the regulatory regime is set up and the amendments are made in 49 before any company is going to go down the road of expensive due diligence to come up with a formal proposal. They may indeed be interested in it. I've got a couple of questions even beyond environmental impact and displacement of uh, fishers is where's the market? And I mean, from our coast to a market, say, for instance, whether it be in Ontario or Quebec or the northeastern United States, I'm hard-pressed to come up with, you know, and I, I, of course I'm not in the executive uh, layers of these types of companies, but, boy, proximity to market has got to be something that's got to be at least problematic. Uh, anyway, I don't know. Well, we'll see. That, that's quite possible, but I would leave that to uh, the provincial uh, government and the proponents that are wanting to develop wind and uh, and. I'm sure that if they're if they're moving in that direction, they must have some kind of agreements with somebody to buy uh, the ammonia and to regasify it once it gets to Europe. Yeah, but, but now uh, nobody's going to sign a power purchase agreement until there's got an approval for a project. But anyway, absolutely. So, we'll so we've we're we're working on our amendments, and uh, next week we start the clause by clause discussion in Natural Resource Committee, and I'll be sitting in. I'm subbing in to that committee. Uh, where I'm the only Newfoundland Labrador uh, representative from our side. Uh, so uh, they've subbed me into that committee and uh, to basically uh, represent the interests of Newfoundland and Labrador. And a lot of the things that the FFAW and other uh, stakeholder groups have presented to us will be re- reflected in the amendments that we're we're submitting and that we're going to discuss, and hopefully we can have those amendments approved. 
so that the fishing industry has a seat at the table and that they're not just uh, uh, steamrolled in the uh, placement of uh, wind fields. Yeah, and we'll see where that goes. I imagine the final amendments and final approvals of C-49 are not that far down the road here either. No, I think that the uh, the Liberals will uh, call closure on this as, as fast as they can and get it to uh, to a vote uh, and third reading and uh, to try to get it into the Senate. Uh, another thing, uh, Patty, that's a bone of contention for myself and for, uh, for our party and for uh, every stakeholder uh, and every everyone that I talk to that that works in the oil and gas industry offshore uh, is is section fifty six, which basically states that if an area may be deemed a future marine protected area, that the governor and council can in fact pull the exploration or development permit. So you know, last year we had a record number of offerings of parcels in our offshore. And we had no takers whatsoever. Uh, in the meantime, $382 million worth of parcels were auctioned off in the U.S. And the, you know, the the uh, exploration companies were tripping over each other to uh, to gobble up uh, those leases. But we had none. And there's a there's a, a very big suspicion in the industry uh, that this happened as a result of the tabling of BC uh, Bill C49. With with a clause like uh, like Section fifty six, uh, it brings in so much uncertainty. And even though, but there's exploration the happening this summer. Pardon me. There's exploration going going to take place, scheduled to take place this summer. Equinor is bringing in the Hercules semi submersible drill rig with extraordinary cost. Exxon Mobil is out to, at extraordinary cost to explore. So it's still happening. Absolutely, and those were those were parcels that were taken years ago. Yep. So in in terms of new investment in parcels of land it's it's just not happening and the uncertainty in this bill is a big part of it so we're we're hoping that we can get the section 56 removed and uh but in fairness cliff before that bill was ever tabled there was sluggish uptake at the cnlopb for a number of years now absolutely and that 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 brings uh brings me to another point uh the uh iaa it basically see bill c69 is referenced in that bill uh, over 70 times and so uh that's been that's been the big thing that slowed down of course beta nord so uh and a bill that's been proven to be unconstitutional uh by the supreme court should not be referenced in new legislation because it brings in uncertainty uh into that legislation i appreciate the time this morning cliff i'm off to the break okay sir have a wonderful weekend you too take care Take care, bye. Right, bye-bye. Clip small. Conservative member of Costa Bay, Central Notre Dame. Let's take a break. When we come back, Angela's there to talk about a pending surgery. And Dave wants to talk about long-term care. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number five. Dave, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Hi there. Patty, uh, day before Christmas, I had some surgery here in St. John's. And while I was there, I was talking to a – well, I had heart surgery. And I was talking to one – when I was in pre-op there, I was talking to a nurse here. She's from Ontario. Here for two years, looking for a permanent job, still not permanent, okay? And while we were there, we were talking about these travel nurses, and they were saying, like, how much money is the government really paying? Like, the people don't know. Like, they're paying for all their expenses. And I know for a fact that up here in our hospital, I, a friend of mine was out there one night with his brother, and they were sitting on the bench, and a taxi came and picked up one of these travel nurses. She got in the taxi, signed the slip, 
and gone for about 15 minutes and come back with a Tim Hortons coffee. Now, how much money does that cost a taxpayer? A coffee that costs about $2 costs over 20 And this is going on, it says, uh, unbelievable amount of times so that nurses are leaving. They're, they're staying here in a, in a home. It don't cost them nothing for heat and light or rent or nothing. I got nothing against bringing in nurses, but I mean, what about our own nurses? Aren't they causing a bit of a conflict, you know, animosity between these nurses making more money and getting all these preps to, for them to come to work? Of course they are. And, you know, yeah. I heard a story where one of the nursing supervisors had offered one of the travel nurses a ride back to her hotel, and the travel nurse said, nah, sure, I get free cabs. So, I mean, they're, yeah. they're even abusing it. But then there's some big stories out there about, and I think we do know how much money was spent. You know, that Globe Mail story was pretty detailed. But even when we talk about meals... I don't even know if the government knows exactly what's going on here. So if we are, does the contract say things like air fryers and furniture and training and cable bills and, and meals are all part of this? Because even the $1.6 million, apparently that we paid Canadian health labs for meals, the travelers themselves are saying they haven't been reimbursed yet. So there's still some big questions as to the relationship between the company and the province, the relationship between the nurses and the company. And to me, as far as I'm concerned, the, the public should demand that the health minister and a couple, even a couple of more, even the finance minister, should go across this province. I know it might cost a few dollars for their travel net, and let people have public meetings on this. Say, look, that's our dollars. The government don't have any money. Only money the government got is what they take from the taxpayers. Yeah, that's our money. And you, yeah. and you people are abusing it. Not the not the not the public, but the, the damn people that are in charge. Now there may have been a need when the travel nurse contract was first signed, but I don't know much about whether or not there was any real guardrails or some of these things or additional add-ons. Nor do we have a real, a well understood path away from relying on travel nurses. I know the reliance has been reduced in the recent past, but you know, and then go back to the fact that the contract was a sole source. Apparently, this is the most expensive travel agency nurse nurse uh, company in the country. So so there you go. And now we got a long-term care home here that was built. They built two or three of them across the province here a couple of years ago, right? And this one is the one we got is right down by the river. So down by the river, you get the wind coming down that river every now and then. It's cold down around downtown, I call it, okay? I got a friend of mine down there. His brother-in-law is in there as a patient. He's a senior. He said the meals are good. The service is great, but it's only one thing, big problem. In the nighttime, you got to put on a long underwear when you go to bed because they turn the heat down, and the heat is controlled from Cornerbrook. Now, isn't that senior abuse, turning down the heat in the rooms? So the thermostat isn't even in the building? No, sir. It's controlled from Cornerbrook. <laughs> sort of a strange setup to begin with. I mean, the people it who is, are it is, yeah. in the room or in the building itself as a supervisor yeah. or a manager, they'd be much more experienced with what the weather's like where they live. Weird. Yeah. No, no, I mean, isn't that ridiculous? Sounds a bit ridiculous, yeah. And, I mean, again, it's, uh, I know Cliff Small, uh, Cliff, uh, our MHA here, uh, uh, Tibbs, Chris Tibbs knows about it. And But... Is no, if you phone the government about it, you get it just they'll say yes or no to you on the phone, and that's it. But I mean, like a building like that should be all controlled. The everything in that building, the air conditioner, everything should be all controlled in that building. Fair enough. Can't argue that. You know, I mean, how dumb. I mean, I mean, that, to me, that's senior abuse. Turn down the heat and the length. I probably got to wear a long underwear to keep yourself warm in the bed. Yeah. It's a bit gross, isn't it? Well, it's confusing, at the very yeah. least. Well, I'm hoping now that 
the people out there are listening to this stuff say that what goes on in our home because there a couple of years ago we were all talking about the senior abuse about where they were dying from the COVID and all that and there's more going on that we don't even know what meets the eye and we don't hear that we don't know half what's going on because no one tells us and when we try to get something done you know you're called a, a loose cannon you're called everything if you're picking on the politicians regardless who's in office you know, and I mean that that's gross to me to uh, turn the, uh, a building controlled the heat is controlled from Cornerbrook. Yeah, I'm not worried about a politician thinking I'm a loose cannon or a nuisance or whatever. You know, if you there's know. problems, we should be talking about it. That's right. Okay. Good morning, Patty. Take good care of yourself. Yeah. Bye, Dave. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got a safe rolling here. Let's go to line number two. Ken, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you this morning? I'm grand. How about you? Patty, I don't want to take up much of your time, and the first thing I want to say to you, I have listened to a, a lot of callers uh, calling you now about industrial wind development in Newfoundland, and I have to say I commend you for giving people a voice. Okay, it's it's been it's been the conversations that I've heard on open line are actually very informative and stuff like that, and and I, and you know like there's more than Clifford Small, to his credit, he is very concerned about. Uh, offshore in, industrial development happen, that might be happening in Newfoundland. I don't have to tell you about Bill C-49. I'm sure you are, you're well informed about that. But, Patty, my concern is that most people in Newfoundland aren't paying attention to this. Now, there's two sides to this debate or whatever. There's there's the positive side and the negative side, which I'm not going to get into, okay? But it's it's largely going under... It, it, it's not under people's radar. I have talked to people in the real community, okay, and they're either 100% for it because, I mean, the wind companies are going to absolutely put out the positive side of bringing industrial wind, in, wind uh, industry to Newfoundland. Sorry, I'm a little bit nervous talking to you. <laughs> Take your time. You're doing but, fine. Uh, anyway, so... I started doing some a lot of deep research in on both sides of of the uh, of the topic. Okay, now so I just wanted to let you know that a few of us got together and we started up a group on Facebook called Wind Concerns Newfoundland. I've also I'm also developing a wind uh, a website. Uh, I'll be more than happy to send that to you on Twitter so you can go check out the fact that I've done a fair amount of research. I'm still learning. And so our our wind concerns Newfoundland group, okay, it, it's it's open for debate. I mean, whether you you're for it or oppose it, I, you anybody's welcome to come there and have their say. You know, provide concrete uh, information, if you will, to back your claim. If you're if you're on board with this with this because uh, you know the job pro- prospects and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but. Anyway, that, that's I, and so I'll be more than happy to to send you the website that I'm developing right now, and I'll send that to you on Twitter, and you know you can decide for yourself. Uh, so we're trying to put information out there that people can have a conversation on. But Patty, I got to tell you, it's been slow. Like this group is not moving. I mean, and one of the things that concerns me, and I mean every media, every media outlet in Newfoundland has given this fair of all they're just like there's lots of stuff out there that's been put out by cbc vocm news and it's not getting shown to anybody because for the most part i figure people in newfoundland 
depend on Facebook for their their news sources and stuff like that. And unfortunately, Facebook's not allowing you know news outlets from from Canada right now. Okay? Yeah, which is and, its uh, own contentious topic. Look, there's been a ton of wind conversation on this program, whether it be with the minister. We've had John Risley on, I think, twice. We've had people who are for the project, people who are vehemently opposed to the project. We've tried to tackle it from environmental concerns, uh, of course, because that would be the notable at the top of the list for those who are questioning it or are completely opposed to it. So if you had to put your hierarchy of concerns forward, let's start at the top. Oh, I, I don't want to get in. That, that's why I'm. I'm oh, okay. I you can do whatever a, you like. I have a, yeah. I just want to inform you that there's some things out there, and yes, I, when I wrote the description for the group, uh, we are vehemently opposed. Okay, that doesn't mean that we don't welcome another con- another side of the conversation. Do you understand what I'm saying, Teddy? Sure. So, anyway, the website is uh, windconcernsnl.com. WindConcernsNL.com. Easy one. Yeah, and I'll be happy to send that to you on Twitter sure. if you want, and you can go, you can go check it out for yourself. And uh, I, I I think the stuff that we the blogs we have on there are are fair ball and open for conversation, right? I'll and take a look. No matter which side you I'll absolutely have a look. You know, I spend a fair amount of time after twelve o'clock in the day doing stuff like exactly that so i'll have a look at your website this afternoon when i get a moment okay so patty before i go i i do i i, I want to thank you okay for allowing space on your program for this it, it, the reason why we're called wind concerns is because we are concerned about you know what what this means for the people the marine life and the fishery and you know, all of it okay what we we don't know what's coming yet because it's not here, and uh, and so on. So anyway, Patty, I, I, I want to say thank you for allowing space on your program for this topic, okay? And I hope more people come on board. I really do, and start taking this seriously, okay? I appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for the call, Ken. Thank you, Patty. Take care. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye now. There we go. So that website, uh, that, website that website, as Ken described, is windconcernsnl.com. And, of course, for folks who are proponents and supportive of your voice is also welcome on the show. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, Angela, you're next. Don't go away. Come back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Angela. You're on the air. Uh, good morning, Patty. Um, got a different situation for you to, this morning. I'm, I'm not a happy camper. Um, I've waited uh, three years for uh, hip replacement surgery uh, and got um, I had my appointment for today at uh, 8 o'clock this morning at the Health Science. Went to the Health Science and for 8 o'clock, and they told me that I had to be there two hours before uh, I would get called in. So uh, myself and my son waited two hours to get called in, and still nothing. Um and um, about a half an hour after, a, a nurse came out and said, uh, sorry, but your um, your surgery is canceled. Uh, we cannot give you a date as to how, uh, when it will be or uh, how long it's going to be. Any indication as to why it was canceled today? Uh, they said an emergency. Okay. Yeah. 
It happens far too frequently. Uh, it's happened to one of my very close friends a couple of weeks ago. He's been crippled waiting for a knee replacement, yeah. and he was mm-hmm. all set, and he was looking forward to it. He was mentally prepared for the rehab, and lo and behold, very similar situation to yours. Sitting in the waiting room, waiting to get called in, can't wait to get the knee fixed because all of a sudden, it went from just simply a bad knee, then his hips were bad from all the, the limping around that he was doing, exactly. and he got cancelled as well, and he doesn't exactly. know when it's going to happen, so yeah. it's not great. No, 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 um, not not good enough. No, um, so uh, uh, we we live uh, two hours outside of town. Uh, so we came in over the road yesterday uh, in treacherous road conditions, and um, to stay all night to be ready for surgery this morning. And uh, so, who pays for my accommodations and and my meals for yesterday? I mean, I, I wouldn't be in here if I didn't have my surgery. Yeah, and of course, you'll do what you can to try to get some cost coverage there, but my experience is that you won't have any luck on that no. front, which is unfortunate. So what is it meant for quality of life? Because it's no small potatoes when someone is as bad as they need a hip or a knee or a, some joint replacement happen. So what is it meant for your quality of life? Uh, well, right now I'm I have no quality of life. Um, not able to uh, walk at all. I mean, um, uh, use a walker to to uh, get around all day long. Can't do can't do nothing. I mean, just sit in the chair all day long and just wait. <laughs> Are you uh, a working woman? No, I'm not. No, I am on disability. Okay. Well, I'm sorry to hear that this happened to you. And, you know, if there's going to be potential circumstances where there is an emergency and a completely legitimate reason for why one surgery or another gets postponed, but you would think at the exact same time and the exact same breath would be you've been rebooked for this date. Yeah, You know, that would at least take away some of the sting. Right. But uh, the answer was we have no idea. Yeah, and I'm unsure why that would be because, I mean, even if it was a date that would be less than ideal for you, the uh, anticipant recipient of a new hip, if they said it's December the 5th, at least you know. Now you're going to have the same day after day waiting to see if you can figure it out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry it happened to you, Angela, and uh, hopefully it's rescheduled ASAP. Okay. You Thank take you very care. much, Patty. My pleasure. Okay. All the best. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Uh, let's keep rolling here. Line number three. Reg, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you doing? Doing okay. How about you, Reg? Not bad. I just uh, got a couple of issues there. I spoke to you a few times there last year about uh, the health care situation in Bonavista Hospital. And uh, I don't know. It seems like something that's... On the go everywhere, all throughout the province, all of a sudden everything's gone silent for everybody, like with regards to trying to get some information. So I know that you've had the minister on there a few times, and uh, I'm just wondering if uh, it's possible, if, if he's on in the near future, you could uh, just uh, see if you can, if he can give us some sort of update as to what's going on. We we did sign two doctors last year. Right. Okay, and we. Uh, uh, I know from uh, uh, the minutes in Bonavista Council, um, they made the statement in December that there was another doctor showing, but nobody seems to know what happened there. I mean, they're not at the hospital. And uh, 
uh, we we did they did announce a family care unit for us in Bonavista. And right now, nobody knows. I mean, if there's staff being hired, I did uh, I did air through the grapevine that they have a couple of two nurse practitioners sign. But in reality, uh, I think it's the two practitioners that were already in Bonavista. So they're just moving now to the family care unit. So my understanding was they had hired two doctors that were not in Bonavista to be brought in to deal with things like the emergency room closures and those sorts of things. So you're telling me that's not happened? Yeah, they are two. They are two doctors. Okay. And both of those doctors actually were signed for one year. And one of those doctors... uh, Right now uh, is uh, the year is up in April, so we don't know if they're resigning, they're going to resign, or anything. But then the, we were we were informed by the from the minutes of the Bonavista Town Council that there was a third doctor sign, which nobody can seem to f- get a answer on. And I mean, there's there's no official word from anybody. You know what I mean? There's nothing from the government. There's not from the healthcare board. There's nothing, right? And like many issues, regardless of what we're talking about, the silence just adds to more worry. Exactly. So if you and more frustration. Uh, yeah, I mean, has uh, like I know Mayor Norman used to chime in on this issue quite frequently, and the municipality was actually trying to put additional incentives in place <laughs> to encourage or to lure doctors to the area. So, what, what's the specific question? Do you want me to ask whether or not that that doctor's contract that's up in April is, is committed to resigning, or give me what you think are the questions yes. that you need answers you to? Yeah, we like to know if those two doctors who signed for a year—one was April, one was June—I think. Okay. If there, if you know, if there's talks with them, if they have resigned for the next year, and we'd like to know uh, what happened to the third doctor who was supposedly signed and all of a sudden disappeared. And and we'd also like to know what's going on with family care. I mean, if they are people, and I mean, aren't somebody who's already here and, and just putting them in a new office is not really aren't somebody, is it? Not particularly. And, of course, even if you add registered nurses to it, you know, we've been told by the government that your community actually falls inside that uh, incentive envelope of $24,000 for full-time permanent positions, Bell Island, Bonavista, Bure, and Clarenville, Carbonara, and Placentia. But what we don't know is how many nurses have taken up that charge. What we don't know is where the third doctor is. Well, we don't know is what the April contract means for resigning. So I'll try to get you the information as best I can, Reg. Right on, but anyway, and uh, I got another quick thing if I can pass on. Uh, uh, tomorrow, Saturday, February 24th, uh, uh, we, I'm part of a group, uh, well, I'm actually with the local service district in Virtual, but uh, we're the, we got a fire department here. It's called the Five Coles Fire Department. Yep. And so tomorrow, if I could put this word out there, from uh, 3 to 7 tomorrow, uh, we're going to be having a fundraiser at the Bonavista Lions Club, and it will be a call-in show. You call in and make a pledge, and there's going to be entertainment for that time. And we just like to put it out there. It will be televised on the community channel. And if anybody wants to make a donation or call in, we just like to get that out there, let everybody know that is happening tomorrow. A fundraiser for what specifically, sorry? This is for our fire department. For the fire hall, right. Okay, pardon me. Yeah, okay, yeah. 
All right, so that's pretty cool. You get a televised and the whole kit and caboodle. So what's the number of people who want to call in and make a pledge? Um, okay, uh, God, I don't know the phone number, but I do know if you want to make uh, e-transfer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, the e-transfer thing is, is just five, the number five and coves. And then five again, the number five, at gmail.com. So it's number five, and the word coves, number five again, at gmail.com. And I think usually the number is uh, 468-2300, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I can look it up myself, but I appreciate that. Yeah. So the email transfer, coves 5 at gmail.com. Good luck That's with fine. it, Reg. Right on. Thank you very much. You're welcome, sir. All the best. Have a good day. You too. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Uh, a quick check-in on the Twitter box, see what we're, what's going on there. We're VOCM Open Line, you know what to do. Email address is openline at VOCM.com, but we still have another hour left of the program for you. So if you're in the St. John's Metro Region, 709-273-5211. Elsewhere, toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. We're taking a break, and then we're coming back. You're listening to a rebroadcast of VOCM Open Line. Have your say by calling 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. And listen live weekday mornings at 9 a.m. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number three. Martin, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you today? Grand. How about you? I'm doing well, thank you. Good. I'm just calling regarding the uh, proposed wind development project for the Port of Port. Sure. I'm a resident of Cape St. George, and uh, you know I've uh, I lived well. I lived here uh, all my life until I went went to university, went away to work, and came back to the Port of Port. Uh, now that I'm retired, and you know while I support green energy and and, and all that stuff, you know I, I'm just looking at the new the, the EIS uh, amendment that they just put out and. And the water, our watershed in Cape St. George, you know, as as is all resources, water is, is, is you know, it's, it's precious and we need to protect it at all costs. And I'm seeing here that they have like 13 turbines placed around our watershed. There was there was 18, they've taken away five. And now there's 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 13 left. So, I mean, they're they're going to construction and that will, you know, because our watershed is in, in a valley and, uh, you know, it's, 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 it should be protected. Uh, you know, water resources should be protected at all costs, in my opinion. And uh, I think that government should be ensuring that and, and allowing that, you know, such a project to, you know, whether they can place them elsewhere or, or you know, or, or, or do that, it's, it's important. But, you know, it's, it's, it's concerning. And, you know, while, while I'm, uh, like I said, support the green energy and, and all that stuff, it's, it's just, it's a project that is, you know, it's, it's, it's getting a lot of, a lot of hype and getting a lot of, you know, things about talk about jobs and, and all that stuff. I and mean, jobs, these things don't, won't last forever. They will, they will eventually come to an end. And you know what we what we will have left after that's over is, is another story. Sure, there's automatic buffers baked in when we talk about legislation protecting mm-hmm. uh, water sources. The amount of activity that can take place in certain proximity to water resources. So, inside the map itself and the water source that you're talking about, they must be adhering to the already well-defined buffers, aren't they? Well, well, I, well, I'm, uh, well, the thing is, is that a map is a map. I mean, you, you can just go by the map because what I'm seeing here now, I mean, we do have the just transitional reserve that it was designated there recently uh, up there on the tip. And as well, there's there's a small, narrow, a thousand-meter thousand corridor onto 
between that and our watershed that that you know should also be uh, protected. But I mean, the thing is, is that it's in a valley, and all construction, as you know, whether it's you know runoff or whatever, whatnot from from that construction will 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 have an effect on our water source, and then, and that's something that you know it, it's 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 in my opinion is is really serious. So just so I have a full understanding of your concern here, so are you mm-hmm. worried that there would be like something seepage from lubricants yeah. from the turbines? That's the yes, okay. All that stuff, yes. Okay. Because cause the thing is, is that as you 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 heard for the, that out in mainland when they did the uh, when they did the Met Tower there and, and all that stuff. I mean, you know, they had all kinds of issues that that were you know uh, that were was caused by by the construction and that sort of thing. But you know, it's 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 unfortunate that you know the there's not more uh, you know discussion with the community and before even the project took you know took shape sort of thing there was should have been discussions i mean you know i mean where are you know our ministers our premier our minister davis minister parsons and and premier fury i mean or even our mp goody hutchings like we've heard from nobody here they've they they haven't been here to speak with the people and 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 and, and discuss the concerns i mean we had risley back in july of of 22 when the project was 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 first announced i mean they had a you know a kind of a private by invitation only meeting in the community where you know only a certain amount of angels could could attend it wasn't an open public meeting i mean you know to have the concerns but i mean if if it was just a short amount of thing i mean it wasn't it wasn't getting the full message out to all the people i mean world energy is having these so-called uh, consultations in 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 the areas but i mean they just had a recent consultation regarding the ieis amendment and it was in steamville only and we're and virtual. I mean, there's a lot of uh, elderly people that don't have access to that. It's, it's also in Stephenville. It's not even on the Port of Port Peninsula or or out in Cardway Valley. That at that fact, you know. So it's, they need they need to get it to the people. I mean, I I understand it's a it's a new industry and they, they want they want to get the uh, the uh, the province you know involved in that and and one of the leading you know producers of, of hydrogen or whatever whatnot. But the thing is that they have to speak to the people that got to live here. I mean, you know. I'm not saying that you know it's not going to come or it's, the project's not going to be here, but I mean, they should have had more more consultation because uh, I mean, when, when World Energy had their open house in April of last year, sure, there was over a hundred and something people there, and I mean, they they couldn't answer any questions. They, they, all kinds of questions was asked to them, and they, they couldn't answer them. And I mean, you know, we we spent I think six hours at that meeting. And at the end of it, there was no there was no answers they could give. So I mean, the thing is, is that they have to speak to the people in the area and see where where their feelings are on this. So Martin, I've just bounced back to the mainland yeah. water concerns. Yeah, you know, with that Met Tower, what I was really kind of confused about. Maybe I'm easily confused, but when the uh, the issue was identified, and then yeah. the company was willing to send in hydrologists and other uh, specialists in the field yeah. to examine what the cause was for any of the water concerns on mainland, the community just refused it. So... Uh, you know, if we're talking about the security of water supply and the understanding of the interaction between the Met Tower and mainland's water and or the water that you're talking about in the 13 turbines in close proximity, I really think it's probably a good idea for social license and for folks with the questions and concerns yeah. that the hydrologists are absolutely brought in to talk about, you know, the reaction or the the integration with these turbines and or the Met Tower and water supply. I was really surprised that the communities didn't say, OK, send them in. 
Well, the thing is, is that they 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 send them in, yes, and and, and actually speak with people. I mean, have open sessions with with the area to to talk about it, not necessarily that community. Because if it's if there's one area issue that's going to be in the mainland area, it's going to be an issue at in, in the, at the Cape where there's water sources and other areas on the peninsula too. So I mean, the thing is, is that you know they could have they could have sent them in, yes. But I mean, the thing is, is that I saw the pictures of of what their so-called remediation of of the issues was and having uh, hay bales and stuff trying to to try to get the the sludge and whatever uh, out of it but i mean the thing is is that you know we see we've seen so much here on the peninsula this last little while i mean you know they're sending in their their their, their so-called uh experts and i mean you know going back to that meeting of april last year they had experts there too and they were trying to compare the port of port peninsula with the big island of of uh, hawaii when it comes to wind turbines and stuff so i mean you know like there's no comparison the land mass between the two is, is not the same so i mean I, I, I'm skeptical when when they they try to send in these experts to to uh, to uh, to uh, kind of ease uh, the the residents' uh, concerns regarding the issues. Well, uh, fair enough, but you know I would imagine some actual examination as to cause and effect would be helpful to understand exactly what the problem might be and what the problems may be in the future when the turbines, yeah. if and when they're all erected. Uh, yeah. uh, anything else on that this morning, Martin? No, that's 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 good. Like I said, if we can get our premier and our minister Davis and our minister Parsons out here to, st- or or even Goody Hutchings, who is a minister of ACOA and rural development, I mean, you know, we haven't heard anything from 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 those those people. So I mean, the thing is, is that we're we're the we're the the, the residents that elected them to be in there. So. Uh. Their press releases and all their all their media opportunities, but you know, come and speak to the people and and see. Yeah, I guess Martin has a call coming in or something like that. Martin, are you still there? Well, I think we got his point, and I'm not sure we've been disconnected somehow, but that's that would be on his end. So I uh, appreciate his time. Uh, before we get to the break, line number four. Bill, you're on the air. Hello, Betty. How are you? I'm okay. How about you? This con, I just want to update you on the long routine. Okay, go ahead. Uh, well, funny enough, I just went to the post office too, and uh, the two councillors, myself included, of course, uh, I went back to the first meeting from the last suspension and uh, was uh, promptly uh, told that there was a privileged meeting and a vote uh, through a complaint from Deputy Mayor McDonald, and I just got a letter that uh, is definitely a, uh, a conflict of interest because it's signed by Deputy Mayor and he apparently voted on the complaint, etc. But there was an investigation by uh, a consultancy firm that has no authority or use other than submitting an invoice and make recommendations. But in his recommendations, he did recommend that uh, uh it go to court, which is what I've been asking for anyway. And of course, uh, uh, the the wording on the literature is the uh, the council uh, didn't feel it was a good use of uh, expenditure. It was BS, basically. Just no, we're not going to court because we know, and the answer is because we know we're wrong. And but it's getting ridiculous, Patty. There's there's I, 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 I'm going to write in the email. I've called the uh, the minister's office 
for municipal affairs, nothing back. The bureaucrat, uh, Mr. Stamp, I've left him a couple of messages, nothing but uh, getting emails back from them coming back and forth. And now uh, myself and another councillor are suspended again because we're just, we just want to uh, better our community and not play their games. End point. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I've read several codes of conduct documents out there, and there's a reason why people are, you know, not understanding exactly what constitutes a conflict. And consequently, with the gray areas and the really poorly written documents, we're having these types of issues pop up in various communities. And, you know, it's really, I listened to that uh, counselor from Stephenville the other day, and actually a community member uh, dropped down and he was like, uh, I, I I thought I was listening to you. I said, well, I'm not so well-spoken, but uh, at the same time, I get it a thousand percent. And it's a very similar thing. It's like, uh, don't play our game. And I, I, I'm not going uh, throwing mud, uh, going looking back, digging up people's skeletons, et cetera, et cetera. But this town should be so much better off. And there's the, the, the four counselors there and the bureaucrat that just – Talk about wasting time, money, and uh, uh, so. Patty, do you have a uh, high security access door to your office as such a public figure, like the whole province? Uh, well, you have to be buzzed into this building. Oh, okay, did into the building. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah, because uh, the, uh, the just recently they've ordered on uh, a, uh, a glass, inaccessible. Uh, 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 door uh, for whatever purpose it beats me but yes getting into the building both in the building i absolutely agree with that but uh, i think there's uh, i think there's nefarious uh, reasons for for that and, uh, definitely the expenditures not worth it and uh, as a counselor that's been uh, like i said back to the first meeting uh, on i totally believe unlawfully suspended the first time go back and immediately the the code of conduct complaint never cited a single thing except for that is so wrong now the letter i got today uh the dear mr murphy uh, uh cites uh, a few sections I'll, I'll look at but at the same time the complainant the person who who's has the time the the generate vast paperwork to uh to to convolute everything signed off on it and that seems to me a definite conflict of interest yeah. thank you patty thank you, no patty. problem i do have to get off to the break last word goes to you billy municipal affairs uh get involved um, um my member's going to get an email and long harbor town council your waste of money uh, consultant recommended bringing it to the court. Let's go. Fair enough. Appreciate the time. Thanks. Take care, Billy. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, uh, Keith wants to talk about what pedestrians are experiencing today, and then the Mayor Lab Cities. Belinda Adams talk about an upcoming Municipal Development Summit. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two. Say good morning to the Mayor of Lab City. That's Mayor Belinda Adams. Mayor Adams, you're on the air. Thanks, Patty, for taking my call. This morning I wanted to call in. First-time caller, by the way. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Uh, what I wanted to call in about this morning is the future of the Lab West Summit that's being held here next week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. It's on February 26th to the 28th. The Labrador West Chamber of Commerce have done a lot of work and a lot of effort in the past year. 
with a dream to have a summit where they could get the key players at the table to discuss the partnerships and challenging obstacles in the development in our region. We held a pre-summit public consultation with our residents on the 21st, uh, an open forum where we got some really good conversations, uh, really good uh, discussion and what are key points we'd like to uh, discuss in whether it's economic development or a few pressure points, I call them, for lack of better words, I, I guess, Patty. So, Mayor Adams, um, give, us a, give us a sense of what type of important conversations were had in the lead-in session. Things such as... Lead-in lead sessions, when we talk economic development, and as you know, like Labrador West Chamber of Commerce are, are big on that, obviously, and helping the businesses. But from them, challenges for economic development for Labrador West, we get into the housing, we get into the health care, we get into the power required for the Honor Company of Canada and its cores and any other future development. We get into our teachers and our school system and the lack thereof. Um, we need to, The whole goal is to get the community partnership, you know, whether it's from our, our people that are actually um, coming up to visit. We have uh, the leader of every every party coming up from the Liberals to the PC to the NDP, and we also have our Premier as well. So it's a lot of key players coming to the area. If you look at Labrador West, it's a challenge, and everybody wants to say their own community's got their challenges and their own community deserves this, but Labrador West deserves some love. Uh, we've been giving back, if you look at the R&R Company of Canada alone, 70 years this year for the R&R Company of Canada, um, giving back to the province and same with the taxpayers giving back to the province. So the intent is to get at the table and say, yeah, we can solve some of these issues to get the, the opportunity for economic growth and development. If you look at it that way, Patty, we need economic growth and development. From a housing perspective, years ago, the town of Labrador City and Wabush was more developed, more for like a fly and fly out, and then it became a community. So from a community perspective, we haven't looked at growth and development a lot from it. Labrador City was built really on the Arna Company of Canada and Wabush on the, on the, on the backs of Wabush Mines. And they put a lot of stuff here, you know, from recreation to otherwise. And they still give back big to the community, huge to the community. We need to take it to the next level. At, at some point, iron ore may dry up. We don't know. But, uh, you know, let's be proactive in some of that. Because if we're not proactive, you won't be just uh, looking to get something here. You'll be looking to relocate us. Uh, like Great Harbor Deep at some point if we don't do that. So the, the idea is to get some growth and development here and get the key players at the table. Um, we, they hear us, we're, you know, what our, what our concerns are and what the high risks are. If you look from, again, we were built years ago to be a camp. We have seniors here now, upwards of 120 widows here now that, you know, we don't have any form of seniors care here, any form of seniors housing, cottages, nothing like that. So we need to be players at the table. Right now, uh, hats off to the Liberal government for giving us a consultant to help us work through that, and hopefully that'll work. This doesn't want to be turned into a political thing, honestly. Um, we can all play political games, but for me personally as a mayor and my council in support of my council, we don't see this as a political game. I'm really happy to see all players at the table, both provincial, uh, sorry, Liberal PCs and the NDP. We don't want to play games. We want them to come here and do the right thing. We want to, them to help us get these solutions together so we do the right thing for the community, not because it's a political game. Um, that That's really what the focus needs to be. So really happy, you know, we got some ministers, we got some um, key players, the Honor Company Canada, Mike McCann's coming to speak, uh, Joe Broking. Even our partners, if you look at from a partnership perspective, the Chamber is very, very keen on inviting the right people. We're, we, you know, we're about 23 kilometers from Quebec, and they they challenged with the mining town as well on housing, but they've also done some key things with the government to get us there. So they're coming to speak. So they'll build those partnerships and come up with solutions. We're very good, and I mean this respectfully, we're very good at, uh, 
venting, having our say, doing our thing, but are we great at advocating to get to the next step? By advocating, I mean responsible, mature decisions where you take down your egos and you get at the table and you have those decisions and you work through them with solutions, not just Facebook warriors, I call them, for lack of a better word, in my little town, the Facebook warriors and the uh, same thing with the open line. Open line is a great opportunity for that, and so is social media. I have no problem with it because you learn so much from it. So that's a great opportunity. But if you look at what the Iron Company of Canada have given back to the province and what the, the, the residents have given back to the province money-wise, it's time we get that. Right now, if, uh, if, if we have a senior that needs accessible housing or a cottage, we don't have that there. Yes, we have our struggles. So, you know, senior pioneers have done a lot of lobbying, but right now we don't have a, a developer and we don't have someone to operate. And that's huge. And it's got to be affordable. So that's huge. So to come in Labrador City, it's, it costs about, you know, for each unit, you're probably 40% more cost than it does in uh, across the province is it's the number that they're giving me. So 40% more across the province to build that. So how do we get through those obstacles and how do we get somebody here? What does that look like? Years ago, everybody was afraid to come to a mining town and develop or anything because it's high risk. I get that. It's a little bit high risk. But at some point, we got to take more risk to get this growth and development for Labrador West. So really proud of the summit team for pulling that together, the chamber team pulling that together. Really proud of the residents who came out to the Arts and Culture Center and spoke up and had their say from healthcare professionals alike. It was a really, uh, it was, it was low in numbers and we get that, but you know what? I, I'll take the quality over the quantity at the end of the day if we can uh, get the people to the table that are really concerned and have passion for it as much as we do. Or I do. I, I know that for sure. For sure, and we can hear it. That. You know, when... So it's Three days of that should be really good and good partnerships at the table and so many people with the sponsorship. We'd like to thank all of them for the sponsorship because without that, they, we wouldn't have been able to make it to this this level we are here now. You know, I know this is not really your ballywick, but, you know, things like benefits agreements, and I know the companies have given back in large part to where they're operating, but if things like seniors housing and housing period were part of benefits agreements as simply as opposed to uh, transfers of monies and royalties and what have you, because we maybe could have chipped away at some of this stuff to not have it be the uh, boom and bust cycle that we see in many of these industrial uh, parts of the country, including in Lab West. Where does regional cooperation play a role here, Mayor Adams? You know, comes to mind whether it be with the Mike Adams Recreational Center and some of the you know standoffs that took place between Wabush and Lab City on that front so how does the region take it on this is a, the this is the start of the beginning I think of that type of thing with this summit so if you look at it I, I keep telling people we're not Toronto we're a community Newfoundland is a community we pull together when we need to to get things done. If you look at, we talked about the other night, you know, we, we didn't have a CT scan here, but 600 marched to the Scout Lodge and had their say and did their thing and got that. We want to do it a little bit more professional than that, but we want to see results from that. So from that perspective, we have to join hands together. If I, if I look at getting a developer here, there's a lot of good developers in this town who want to step up and do that, but they don't know how to do it. And if you look at from the mines perspective, they obviously pay a little bit more. So a lot of the contractors go there versus us. But we want them at the table with the big players and the government officials at every level to say, okay, how do we get this done? I know for a fact, personally, I can call a plumber tomorrow to help a senior in his house if, if need be. That's where we got to get back to and how does that work? I don't know if it's some form of community development corp comes out of this. There's a high vision there in my head and where this can go and how this can grow. 
but we have to go do economic development. I was on the panel discussion for with the MNL, and the premier was there, and, and we talked how economic development, and again, as a part of that, stepping up. The reasons, uh, you know, what we bring back to the to the province is a lot. And if you look at in the next two years, me as being the mayor of Labrador City, I don't know if I'm in a good position or a bad position some days because. Town of Labrador City, the province needs us. It needs our company of Canada, needs Wabash to bring some, you know, to bring the money back to the province and help the rest of the province. And that's what we want to do. We're, we're all about, you know, helping each other, and that's that's where it is. The province needs needs us as well, and our company of Canada needs us as well to get to where the next two to get to that green steel. But we also need power, so that's part of the play. But both everybody's playing a part, but we're not pulling it all together. Right. And let's hope that the Decorah mine, the Scully mine issue gets settled in Wabush as well, because that's another big, big load of jobs and uh, revenue side for the area. Uh, before I have to get to the news very quickly, Mayor Adams, when is the summit? What do people need to do if they'd like to be a part of it? Right now, the tickets are, are sold out, but it's February 26th to the 28th. It will be streamed live if people want to do it. If you go on the Labrador West Chamber of Commerce uh, Facebook page or site, you can see where it is there. The other piece of it is a lot of people didn't get to go to the Arts and Culture Center, and uh, they've done a good job of trying to curb that. People, people are still and we have a lot of seniors, people are still stuck to the flyers, looking for it on newsreels. But you can go in and email some more concerns if you want to bring it to the table. And, and up at the mall right now, they even have sticky notes with, it, with a young girl up there that they can go up and write their concerns up there as well. So go on the line, do that. It's the 26th or the 28th, going in live. And we do plan on, on sharing. They're, they're all going to be taped and shared with the... Uh, with the group, uh, with, with really with the town. Mayor Adams, I really appreciate the time as a first-time caller. Don't be a stranger. Thanks. Appreciate it. Take Have care. a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. That's Mayor Belinda Adams out in Lab City. Uh, before the news, line number four. Keith, you're on the air. How's your day going, Patty? So far, so good. How about yours? Not too bad. I just wanted to put it out there to uh, the people that are driving to respect people that walk on the Walk on, on the sides of the road or on the, the, the crosswalks. They're all done and plowed, which is great. But some people just fly by and drench you. Like, they don't even slow down. Like, when I drive, I'll slow down a little bit or try to pull out my tire out from the uh, river water. Some people don't. And I went for a walk today, and uh, I came home and I was soaked. <laughs> Is so unnecessary too, right? The motorists, they know better. They see the puddle, they see the pedestrian, even if it's simply a matter of slowing down because it's not always possible to completely avoid the puddle, but at least slow down to give the pedestrian a fighting chance as opposed to soaking he or she head to toe. Yeah, because, I mean, like I said, I drive and I respect that and I slow down if I can and pull away from it as much as I can. And uh, But some people just... just drive on through and you go home and you got to take off all your clothes because you're soaked and I mean some people I went out for a walk but I mean I, I didn't have to walk I drive but some people out there don't have a vehicle so they're walking Yep. so you know and it's not fair to them that's all it's good public service announcements here please respect the pedestrians and there's nowhere else for them to be whether it be hopefully lucky enough to have a plowed sidewalk or sometimes maybe forced to walk on the shoulder of the road and or the road itself so let's just kind of share the roads as best we can i appreciate this keith thanks for doing it thanks buddy have a good day you too man bye-bye Bye. all right let's take a break for the news when we come back travel nurses and then plenty of time left to speak with you on a topic of your choosing don't go away Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number one. Tony, you're on the air. 
Good morning, Paddy. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I'm just talking about these travel nurses and expense they have. Uh, this government had paid it over the last couple of years, but anyway, the travelling nurses—I mean, thirty-five over thirty-five million dollars gone out in five months. And I mean, now you got you got Tom Osborne. Um, I mean, he's the one that paid out the money with the sign-off, I guess, with this premium. And now he's doing his own investigation on himself. See where the money went? Like it's, it's unbelievable. Instead of bringing the Auditor General in and see where all this money has gone, because it really sounds like corruption to me. But now he don't know where any has gone. Don't you think he should have looked in this before he paid out all this money? I mean, this is taxpayers' dollars that they're putting out now. I mean, it's just as unreal what's going on here. I mean, they got got contracts right from the, the paid ADF. When they paid out 72,000 uh, 72, hours, they paid out $31 million to 811. And, and from November, from January to November in 2002, there was 165, over 165,000 calls, and over 75% of them was told to go to emergency. Now, 93,000 calls extra that they had to pay $62 an hour. That's what it averaged out. So, I mean, it's just unreal. And then you got the Waterford Hospital, who has paid it over $40 million to cut beds in there and still paid out the money. To get, then you got this virtual care, and everyone was saved money, for, saved for going into emergency, and that's where they're sent. Now they got virtual care, who paid out, they paid out $22 million when the company here was going to do it for seven. So, I mean, all this money, now the latest, they're demo for this one was uh, $84 million they're paying out for the old Costco building. Like, how much more is this going to cost now to get it up running? And they got and they got no staff to go in, and they got to close down Northeast Avalon uh, walk-ins in order to get the people to go there for the, the, the equipment. So, I mean, the people to work there. So, I mean, it's just unreal. Now, just $35 million they paid out over five months. When you got nurses here struggling, they can't, they got working conditions unbelievable. Like the nurse, uh, the president of the Nurse Association said, last week that it was just another smack in the face for the nurses here. And they've been protesting against this for the better working conditions, and she said they were going to keep on quitting because the working conditions and they're the lowest paid in Canada. You know, like we got we have we got respiratory therapists who are quitting because of working conditions. We got radiation therapists who was quitting because of working conditions, and they were getting ten dollars less an hour, and yet they're forking up money left, right, and center to these these contractors and to all this. I mean, this going on is just unbelievable. What's going on here? You know, uh, it's just uh, and to me, it should bring an order general and have a big investigation in the whole works of it to see where all this money is going and see why it's all going to companies. When you got other companies that are bidding less and yet they can't get it, it's almost like if you're not you're not bidding too much money. Uh, well, you're not going to get the contract. I guess it's like you having somebody come in your house, Patty, giving you a price of twenty million, twenty thousand dollars, and when he hands in the bill, probably about a hundred, hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. I mean, you're not just going, you're not just going to hand it out. You're going to ask, okay, well, you know, for number one, you're going to see where the money is going. Like this is unreal. What's going on here with this government? And then to do their own investigation when they're the one who paid out the money. Like this, don't don't even make any sense. Just don't. So what's your thought on it? Well, I've, I've spoken to this several times since the story broke. In fact, every single day. Uh, I, well, I mean, for starters, I have an issue with any contract that's sole sourced. There absolutely should be some form of investigation. You can't have the investigators be the people who are they're investigating. So the Auditor General, fair enough. But, you know, even when we see the work done by the Auditor General's office, it's always important to see as to whether or not there's any actual accountability or change that comes from it. A couple of times there has been. You know, when she did the work with Nalcor, then and of course, they stopped with the big bonuses and a variety of other changes took place. So there has been some meaningful action on the heels of AG work. And maybe it's the appropriate step, next step here, too. 
this because, like I said, radio corruption. I heard you speaking out this week. I mean, you never had. I mean, you actually <clears throat> criticized and wanted answers, the same as everybody wants answers. I mean, the money that's going out here is just unbelievable. We got nurses quit left, right, and center and going away because of working conditions. And the doctors the same way. They give them what they like after a four-year contract. They hand out basically you take or leave it. We've had nurses graduating. We had doctors graduating, no offers. And then you're getting part-time nurses now getting part-time jobs to graduating, so they're going to go elsewhere. Were they getting better bonuses and full-time work? Well, they're getting lots of uh, full-time offers, just not permanent. They've been offered temporary full-time, so there's a difference between part-time and temporary full-time. Uh, anything else, Tony, before I have to try to get to a break? No, that's it, and uh, you have a great weekend. You too, Tony. To me, like, you should have an investigation, like I said, to see where this kind of sounds like, just like the federal government. They just, 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 like, just corrupt, so I mean, I think there should be something done here. Because this is just unbelievable where the money is going. I appreciate anyway, it. You, you too, Tony. All the best. Bye. Right, bye-bye. Final break of the week and the day. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. There is no Keith. Uh, Ron, you mean? Uh, line number four. Ron, you're on the air. Yes, Patty. Good morning. Um, I just heard the guy talking about um, getting splashed by the motorists and that. Yep. And... And it was kind of ironic when it came in because I was driving by uh, Elizabeth Avenue, Adams Avenue area, and I seen a guy, there's a great big puddle of water in front of me. As Buddy was speaking on the radio, this pedestrian was walking in front of me, and he had a big chunk of ice in his hand, and he was tossing it up and down in his hand like a baseball. And he was, like, making because he was back on the traffic on the sidewalk, but he was looking back at the cars coming, and he's more or less saying... Okay, there's a puddle of water and there's a chunk of ice. If that water meets me, this chunk of ice is meeting you, kind of thing. So, and uh, there was a few cars ahead of me, and I did see the car slowing down. So it's, uh, I'm, not, I'm not encouraging throwing ice at cars, but uh, but uh, uh, it definitely seemed like a deterrent, right? So, uh, yeah, I just thought I'd throw that in there. And just, and just before that, about a half hour before, I've seen a car. It wasn't water, but it was a crosswalk with all the snow banks around. And... Uh, the pedestrian came up, had to right away, and the car sort of pulled up around the bank on him and towards the crosswalk. And as he was walking across by the car, and the car almost not hit him, but up close, he just banged on the side of the car, like just more like, you know, keep an eye out for me kind of thing, right? So it seems like the pedestrians are uh, getting uh, a bit more aggressive now after a week of walking on streets and that. So uh, yeah, there's a lot at stake if someone is going to act out on your vehicle for sure yeah yeah i mean both sides need to play nice here right you know let's give yeah. the pedestrians a break but nor do i think it is a fair play to pummel my vehicle with a chunk of ice either but you know i guess the frustration is starting to boil over i'm sure that person's been splashed already today but let's see if we can't all just get through it the best we can without splashing pedestrians and denting vehicles how's that yeah i just wanted to re- reinforce like what i saw today i agree like what you just said you just wrapped it up pretty pretty tight there in that package so uh you know just keep an eye on the pedestrians that's main thing right you're in your car you're okay like you know just keep going i just wanted to reinforce what he said there appreciate the call thanks ron okay thank you you're welcome bye-bye bye-bye let's keep rolling here let's go to line number two duran you're on the air hello how are you doing great how about you Uh, not too bad not too bad i'm just calling in uh, with in reference to the uh wind turbine project out on the port of port peninsula fire away yeah, um, I've been going through the uh, the recent updated uh, EIS that they've sent and the amendment, 
And there's a, a lot of things on there that really brings concern. Uh, one of the primary things I want to point out is that when you look at their maps, uh, you know, they show all these cute little dots where these turbines are going to be. But when you look further into the document and you have a clearer view of the total area that they have colored in that they'll be essentially occupying for this project, and if you combine that with the landmass that's taken up by the local quarry, it equals out to about three-quarters of the peninsula mass that that's going to be used up. And when you look at the you know regulations, like if you look at the government of Canada, they, they go on and they have their own little report on there when it comes to uh, what they referred to as wind turbine syndrome. And you get the company like World Energy and, and others that'll refer to this document saying, well, the government says it's safe, so it's obviously safe. You know, there's nothing a whole lot to worry about. Uh, the big problem with that study is that it was essentially a, uh, um, a phone call to different areas, different people, and having a conversation with them as to, you know, how they felt and whatnot. There was no real scientific um, application to the study. So, you know, it would have been no different than if they'd have hired a company like MQO Research to call around and, and you know, do a survey uh, because there's no instrumentation that was used for measurement. There was, you know, uh, no type of measurements or uh, for any extended period of time. And so that in itself, you know, uh, lends a lot of discredit to the study that was done by the government. And you have to understand at this point, uh, that study is 12 to 13 years old. Is there, the just one second, Duran, is there any scientific background associated with wind turbine syndrome? Yeah, um, uh, the, the biggest factor with wind turbine syndrome and whatnot comes from the effects of infrasound. Yeah, but, but is, it a, is it actually a thing? Uh, it's coming out more and more. Uh, there's one PhD uh, lady, I can't remember her name, that recently put one out, uh, a study out, and that, that's her field of expertise. And initially it was called a syndrome, I guess because when you have medical conditions, if you cannot firmly identify uh, what it is, well, then it's referred to as a syndrome, right? Just like, you know, uh, for AIDS, what's called, you know, it was syndrome up until they found what the root cause of it, and then it was changed to HIV. Uh, as a virus. And so when it comes to the actual turbine syndrome that they're looking at, um, what it is, it's caused by the pulsations that are produced by these blades. And the larger these turbine gets, the more uh, effect that these pulsations have on the human body. And the only, uh, the only reason I ask those, because so a caller has brought this up in the past, so I thought I should dig in and have a little look around, see what I could find. And there's been 25 health and safety reviews done since 2003, and literally zero of them came up with uh, quantifying that there is such a thing as wind turbine syndrome. So that's why I put it out, because if you have a document that I can read that does some scientific evaluation of the cause and effect of the presence of wind turbines, I'm happy to have a look. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'd have no problem. I'll uh, see if I can find those to send them out to you. But you also have to realize that the size of turbines back in 2003 were significantly smaller than what you see now. You know, the average height probably back then, 2003, may have been at most about 50 to 80 meters high yeah. with a, a much smaller blade span. So the larger they get and the larger the blade mass, well, then that... that produces the the infrasound it would be the same as uh you know when you were younger or whatever you go to a bar and you're standing with a certain distance of a bass speaker that's really low and you can feel how it affects your body 
Well, infrasound where it can't be heard, right? But it still has that effect. And where it's a very low frequency, uh, they, that can travel up to 90 kilometers. And it'll penetrate walls, it'll penetrate, uh, you know, the, the walls of your home and whatnot. And so um, even though there are a lot of studies that, that you know, that, as you say, uh, show it isn't there, uh, there's a lot of others out there that, if you go to the right places, that show that it is. And uh, the most recent one, like I said, I'll, I'll dig it up for you and send it in. Yeah, please do. Um, and you're right yeah. about the size. But one of the reviews that I did see, though, uh, included a review of a wind farm that had heights of, I think it was 105 or 108 meters. But that's still nowhere near what we're talking about here. We're talking about 200 meters. Yeah. And plus, and these are going to be placed, placed up on the highlands, right up on the, on the mountaintop. So that's going to even extend its range. It's not like it's a flat surface. And so that's, you know, the one thing that has to be, uh, uh, you know, really taken into consideration. And when you look at the standards, the European standards, um, once you get up the turbines that are that high, the minimum rec- recommended backstepping for these things are 10 kilometers from the nearest residence. Here, they're going to be putting these a kilometer away. Now, it's all fine and dandy if, like, okay, you have other regions such as Exploits, Bjorn, uh, Codroy, uh, you know, they're having their own issues with, with turbines and whatnot, but the one advantage they're going to have is that the placement can be moved. So it can be moved, uh, you know, a, a further distance away from the nearest homes. You know, in some instances, it's six kilometers or more away. Here, you're looking at a peninsula that has a finite landmass, and these turbines are going to be a kilometer away. So what happens then when the effect of these turbines becomes unbearable for the people living in the area? It's not like you can move further away from the turbines. The only option you're going to have is to move off the peninsula. And right? So you, you said so, that, I think that you said the geographical footprint of the wind turbines on the peninsula would be 75%. I thought it was 40%. It's 40% when you put in the turbine and base itself. But then usually the, the way the industry works um, is that within the kilometer radius, they have uh, – that's the controlling area that they have. And so if you look at one of the maps that you'll see, um, even though it shows the dots and it shows how much acres are taken, like the okay says 40 percent, but overall – uh, when you look at the, uh, I'll have to get you that map number and send it in to you. But if you do have a copy of the EIS, you'll see it in there. And it actually pretty well takes up the whole center. And <clears throat> what's interesting, too, we have to keep in the, into consideration is the fact that, um, yes, uh, the previous caller there, Martin, had mentioned about watersheds. And <clears throat> even though, you know, they're, they're on the outskirts of the watershed, um, for the turbines that they're putting in around Cape St. George, a portion of the road that they have drawn actually goes within the watershed. Fair enough. And simply because of the time on the clock, Duran, we've run out of time for this conversation oh. today, but you're welcome to rejoin us next week if you're so inclined. Oh, no problem. I have a lot more to say. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. He did indeed have the last word, but we will pick up this conversation again on Monday morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy weekend. Talk Monday. Bye-bye.